You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein, but you can call me Katie. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that this podcast can and will depict explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello and welcome. Today I will be reading Cat Up Your Chimney and Other Things That Aren't Euphemisms, written and read by me, Nerdy Nerdenstein. This fic is rated mature. The pertinent tags are Alternate Universe Modern Setting, Kid Fic, Four-Year-Old Claire, Dad Castiel, No Cats Are Harmed in the Making of This Fic, Fraudage, 69 Sex Position. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Cat Up Your Chimney and Other Things That Aren't Euphemisms Written and read by Nerdy Nerdenstein Summary Castiel has a cat problem that introduces him to the most unfairly gorgeous employee of animal control. At school she can't sit quiet But she's on a solid rock and roll diet When the bell rings at the end of the day The kids they follow her and then they shout and say Hey, go, go, little gold cat Jump, jump, little gold cat Shake, shake, little gold cat Go, little gold cat, go Chapter 1, Cat Up Your Chimney A gradual sunrise fills the room with light and Castiel starts to stir. After a few minutes, it's like high noon on the savannah, until he reaches over to his alarm clock and plunges the room back into darkness. While the simulated sunrise alarm clock was interesting in theory, in practice it is unpleasant, especially if you snoozed, and Castiel always snoozed. He's tried every trick in the book, but he's just not a morning person. But a morning person he shall be, because that's what adults do. That's what single dads with jobs do. They get their ass out of bed, make a huge pot of coffee, and stand under the shower spray for 25 minutes like a zombie until the devil on their shoulder convinces them to turn the cold water on full blast to shock their system. The devil's a dumbass. More awake after his idiotic shower trick, Castiel dresses in his uniform, pours himself the first cup of coffee for the day, and adds sugar and cream. He smiles to himself as he hears a thumping noise that tells him that Claire is awake and will no doubt be bounding down the stairs any moment. 
He usually only hears that noise on the weekends. On weekdays, he typically has to wake her to get ready for school. But he does love the little pitter-patter sound her always upbeat feet make. After Arthur told him that he wanted a divorce, the thing that made him stiffen in cold terror wasn't the thought of not having his husband. It was the thought of not having Claire. She was his life. She was a piece of his heart walking outside of his body. He couldn't imagine being there only every other weekend. Luckily for him, but heartbreakingly for Claire, Arthur didn't seem to have that crisis. In fact, he seemed quite content to say goodbye to the dad life and happily signed his rights for visitation away. Castiel begins making breakfast for himself and Claire, slightly ahead of schedule since he didn't have to start the long, drawn-out routine to wake Claire from her dead sleep. Sometimes he thinks she's faking how heavy she's sleeping. No one can be asleep when someone is shaking them and almost yelling their name in their face. But he doesn't think she's that good of an actress when she finally rouses from her comatose state. He's seen her fake sleeping when she pretends to sleep just as he pulls into the driveway, so he has to carry her into the house from the car. She always has a tiny smirk on her lips as she commits to the role. The light inside the car, Cass unbuckling her from the car seat, the lifting from her seat, none of it is able to stir her from her fake slumber. But shockingly, she always perked right back up after he'd settled her onto the couch and slipped off her shoes. Funny how that happens. While the toaster is doing its thing, Castiel thinks about the night before. Moving towns had been hard on Claire, but he needed a support system, so moving to where Gabe and Anna lived was the best choice for him. Last night was the first time since the move that he'd seen Claire smile, really smile, and giggle and dance. It was good to see. They had roasted weenies and marshmallows over the new fire pit, making and eating hot dogs and s'mores until their bellies ached. He had pulled out his guitar, something that he used to play for her when she was a baby, but had left in the basement to gather dust when he was working 60-hour weeks and in marital turmoil, and played goofy songs while Claire made up lyrics and shook her booty in the firelight. It was such a nice night, he really hadn't wanted it to end. He let Claire stay up way too late on a school night, but once they packed everything up and he had doused the flames with a garden hose, Castiel carried all of their stuff into the house through the French doors leading into the great room at the back of the house. The great room had been an addition in the 90s, according to the realtor. It had beautiful high ceilings with skylights and a magnificent fireplace that took up an entire corner of the lower part of the room with a huge raised hearth. He couldn't wait for Christmas. The great room was going to have the biggest Christmas tree, and the mantle was going to be decorated with ivy and lights. As he looks up at the attached dining room, slightly elevated to be able to overlook the lounge area of the great room, he can just picture how it would make the perfect location for Thanksgiving dinner with their small but mighty family. The rest of the house seemed to pale in comparison to the light, airy great room. The kitchen was small but functional, recently updated with granite countertops and loads of cabinets. That used to be the original back of the house, so the door that led from the great room to the kitchen was the old back door. 
Castiel wished that the house opened up a bit more from the kitchen, but perhaps renovations were in order once they settled more. Claire had trailed behind him last night, through the great room and the kitchen, singing silly songs and giggling as they made their way through the old house and into the bathroom to brush the marshmallow off their teeth. The bathroom, the only bathroom, was just off the kitchen down a hallway between two of the bedrooms, one now converted into Castiel's home office. The house was a little disjointed, but there was plenty of space to entertain and give Claire room to run. She had a bedroom and a playroom all to herself upstairs. He had a bedroom and an office all to himself downstairs. Plus, the front room could remain more formal, leaving the great room in the back private for enjoying with just Claire. All in all, the single bathroom helped make the house affordable for a four-bedroom house in this area. Claire is only four, so he figures the same dream renovations for the kitchen wall would also include adding a bathroom, before Claire hit her locking herself in the bathroom for hours phase. Conservative estimate? Eight years? Spreading some jelly on the English muffin he just toasted, he turns to grab the milk out of the refrigerator when he hears more noises. But now that caffeine has kicked in, he's realizing that the noises he's been hearing are coming from the wrong side of the house. He hears a rustling noise. At first, he thought it was his daughter, but instead of coming from the front of the house, where Claire's bedroom is, it's coming from the great room. Thoroughly confused, he freezes and listens. He hears some more rustling and a large thump. His heart is immediately in his throat. There must be some sort of creature in his house, and a largish one from the sound of it. Rationally, he knows sticking his head into the great room from the kitchen isn't going to get him immediately attacked by whatever is in there. But it takes him several minutes to work up the courage to creep over to the doorway and peek inside. He sees nothing. Nothing except one of the French doors standing open. Mind racing back to last night, thinking how on earth this could happen. He remembers that Claire was the last one in, and he neglected to do his normal routine of checking that all of the doors were locked. The one night he falls into bed instead of checking, Claire left the door not just unlocked, but open. What are the odds? He knows there's an animal in here now. What the hell could it be? A raccoon? Possum? Oh God, what if it's a skunk? He starts to back out of the room, not sure what to do. Then he hears a low rumble of a sound, a menacing growl he recognizes as surely feline in nature. He looks at the fireplace and catches a gleam of eyes that has caught some residual light spilling in from the kitchen. A cat. A white cat, peeking out from behind a potted peace lily on the hearth growling that weird, yowling growl he's only ever heard when two cats are fighting for dominance. Okay, it's a cat. He can handle a cat. Surely, it's just a little scared and didn't expect to be startled. But cats are smart. Maybe he can just shoo him out the door. Castiel slowly starts towards the cat, arm outstretched with his hand curled under in a non-threatening way, trying to urge the cat to calm down and let him near it. 
With a yowl, the cat shoots around the room, arcing wide and making a wide turn behind the couch against the far wall. Okay, so much for it being even slightly approachable. Deciding his best course of action would be to corral it out the door, Castiel takes the cat's temporary hiding spot as a blessing and goes to throw open both French doors and also the side door on the dining room level. Two openings, one large enough to drive a truck through, should be sufficient to be able to drive the cat out the door without much drama. Castiel goes to the couch on the opposite side of the back doors and lifts it slightly to dislodge his uninvited house guest. It works. The cat scrabbles up the backside of the pleather couch, making Castiel wince at the sound of claws surely poking little unmendable holes into the material, and leaps off the back of the couch, careening around the room in sheer terror. Castiel immediately runs to the kitchen entrance in effort to keep the cat trapped in the back of the house, where there are two exit points and limited hiding spaces. If it made its way into the rest of the house, there's no telling where it would hide. At this point, the cat is just barreling through the room, its claws digging into the carpet as it takes sharp turns, not sure where to go next. It spots the open doors, and Castiel prepares to run over to the French doors and close them behind the cat. The cat jumps up onto the railing between the dining room and the rest of the great room and runs down the length towards the door, spying freedom. It runs so fast and in such blind terror that it smacks into the back of the open door and then leaps, catching itself on the framed art that is hung above the door. With both front claws clinging to the top of the frame and both back claws scrabbling on the glass, the cat and Castiel lock eyes as the art dislodges itself from the wall and starts to fall backwards. Castiel watches the fall as if it's in slow motion. The cat is falling with the art, but manages to twist and turn its body, landing about a foot away from where the frame falls and shatters on the little tiled entrance at the base of the French doors. Glass flies everywhere, and the cat, tail so poofed out in fear that it looks to be about three inches in diameter, shoots back into the room to get away from the destruction it just wrought. Castiel takes a stance like the one he learned as a Little League basketball player when his coach yelled, Cassie, defense, guard your man. Arms thrown out to either side, rocking back and forth on the balls of his feet, trying to discern which way his opponent was going next. The cat makes one more round of the room until it jumps up onto the hearth and slips behind the little iron curtain and into the fireplace. No, Castiel shouts as the cat starts to travel up. Chapter 2. Caging Your Pussy The cat has climbed up his chimney. The cat has climbed up his chimney. How is that even possible? There's no way for it to go out of the top, considering that there's a screen up there that keeps wild animals from getting in. So the cat has to come back down, right? Catching his breath, Castiel listens. He hears rustling and sees soot sprinkling down onto the ashy metal components of his fireplace. 
But all in all, there's not much happening right now. Is the cat braced against the walls of the chimney and just staying that way? What is happening? It's several long moments before Castiel can even move out of the ready stance he had taken. He straightens and is thoroughly puzzled at what to do next. Does he close the doors to the outside now? He waits for several minutes, hearing the cat rustling more. How long can it hold itself up there? Surely it's going to get tired soon, right? Finally, Castiel walks around and closes the French doors and the side door, brow furrowed and deeply conflicted about what to do. He can't leave the room. If the cat comes out of the chimney and makes its way into the rest of the house, there's no telling where it will hole up. The basement door is shut, but all of the other rooms are open. Deciding that he needs professional help, he pulls his cell phone out of his back pocket as he sits on the four little steps that lead up out of the great room proper and into the dining room level that opens to the kitchen. He Googles the number for the local animal control and tries calling. Of course, it's only 7 a.m., so he gets a message saying their operating hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Okay, so it will be two hours until he can even call and speak to someone about this ridiculous turn of events. Looks like work is not on the cards this morning. Should he fake a cough and just say he's sick? Castiel just started this new job three weeks ago, so the prospect of calling in sick this soon into his employment is not a pleasant one, but calling in with a bad case of cat up the chimney makes him seem even more unreliable. Castiel decides to stick to honesty, because if this situation is resolved before lunchtime, he can still put in a half day. If he fakes being sick, he will have to fake being in recovery the next day. No need to create an entire lie when the truth will work. He calls in and has a brief conversation with his boss, Donna. She's very understanding and laughs so hard at his story that the cat shifts nervously in the chimney from the noise coming from his phone. Castiel calls Claire's school and says she will be late or possibly absent due to a family emergency seeing as how he can't leave the room to get her ready or to take her to school at the moment. Castiel waits. He cleans up the broken glass in front of the French doors as best as he can in the early morning light, knowing that there's probably splinters of glass in the carpet, but being too afraid to use the vacuum and startle the now quiet resident of the chimney. Claire wakes up eventually, asking if today is a weekend, since Castiel didn't come to wake her up. Castiel explains the situation to Claire as best as he can, and she looks at him skeptically, like he has made up the entire situation. Four-year-olds were supposed to have fantastical imaginations, but Claire has always been grounded in cold, hard reality. He reheats her now-cold breakfast, figuring that being in the kitchen is safe since it's the only access to the rest of the house. Castiel still doesn't know what he's going to do if a feral cat decides to charge at him, but he feels like he would do something. He takes a calculated risk to dash to his bedroom to change out of his work uniform and into jeans and a t-shirt, since he's been holding out on purchasing additional uniforms until his first paycheck gets deposited. Moving and divorce was expensive, and his savings account was far too low for his comfort. At 8.59, Castiel is standing with phone in hand, his thumb hovering over the dial button. 
As soon as it hits nine, he dials. He gets the same message stating that they were closed. He tries again. Same thing. Forcing himself to take a deep breath, he waits until 9.05 to try again. This time, the ringing sound is different, and a bright voice answers, Jefferson County Animal Control, how can I help you? Thank goodness. I need some help. Castiel starts. I seem to have a quite feral cat in my chimney, and I require assistance removing it from my house. Castiel goes through the same story he had to tell his boss, this woman being a little more understanding but still amused all the same. Okay, I'm going to call my guy and send him your way. He'll be there as soon as he can. Castiel gives her the address, asking for her to please ask the tech to come to the side door, since he can't open the front door, and thanks her, ending the call. And now we wait, Claire Bear, he says, as Claire plays with Lego like there's nothing wrong in the world. It takes about 35 minutes, but then there's a sure knock on his side door. When Castiel opens it, there is a man wearing gray coveralls and solid brown work boots. He has a pair of heavy leather gloves in his hand. He is the most beautiful man Castiel has ever seen, with short, sandy blonde hair that's artfully spiked and swept in a deliberate yet effortless sort of way. He's got a sprinkling of freckles on his tanned face, glittering green eyes, and the most perfect set of lips Castiel has ever seen on a man. They are slightly pouty, almost feminine, but the stubble surrounding them is decidedly not. He's breathtaking. Castiel just stands there like an idiot. Heard you had a cat problem? The man says, looking up into Castiel's dumbstruck face, smirking slightly. Uh, Castiel starts, trying to unstick his tongue from the roof of his mouth. The man's smirk grows into a full-on grin. I'm Dean. The dispatcher didn't tell me much about the situation, just that there's a feral cat that needs trapped. Can you tell me what's going on? Once Castiel's brain finally gets back online, he introduces himself and recounts the events of last night and this morning to Dean. Dude, were you given an enchanted rabbit's foot as a housewarming gift? Castiel shakes his head. Threw a coin into a cursed fountain? You got any bones in the basement? Castiel is grinning back at Dean by now. Oh, Lord, I hope not to the last one. I know it sounds unbelievable. I'm just this unlucky, he says as he spreads his arms, palms up apologetically. Dean chuckles and tucks his leather gloves into his back pocket. All right, well, give me a few minutes to get some stuff from the truck and we'll see what we can do. Just come on in whenever you're ready. I'm watching to make sure it doesn't leave the fireplace and hide somewhere else, so I should probably get back in there. Castiel goes back into the house checking that Claire is sitting at the breakfast bar on the other side of the kitchen, face stuck in a screen and good to go. Nothing seems disturbed around the fireplace, so it doesn't look like the cat has escaped the chimney in the few moments he spent drooling over the animal control guy. He feels like he literally needs to shake his head to clear the fogginess brought on by this guy's hotness. Dean returns to the door and raps on it quickly as he opens it. He's juggling a large cage and a can of cat food as he attempts to close the door behind him. 
He stands in the foyer and slips on the little blue shoe covers over his work boots before he descends the steps into the carpeted great room. Man, this is a nice room. I love this fireplace, Dean says as he sets the cage on the hearth. Thanks. Castiel puts his hands on his hips and lets his eyes sweep the room. This was the main reason I bought the house. The rest of it is a work in progress. Okay, so you saw the cat enter the fireplace, and you're sure it's still there? Dean pulls a flashlight from his pocket and sweeps it into the fireplace, stooping and squinting into the firebox. Yes, I watched the thing climb up, and I've been watching the entire time, and it hasn't come down. I'm not quite sure how it's still up there. Is it braced against the walls of the chimney? Oh, no, Dean says, straightening. I'm sure it's quite comfy up there. All fireplaces have this little shelf that changes the airflow to keep the wind from blowing the smoke back down into the room. Plus, the flue is like a little trap door. Something can push it up, but if you push down on it, it'll hold it closed. Unless you pull this little lever right here. Wow, you know a lot about fireplaces for animal control, Castiel mutters, realizing just how clueless he is about the inner workings of his favorite feature of the house he just bought. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades, Dean says, opening the can of wet food. He sets it far back in the cage, extracting his hand and setting some sort of trap mechanism at the front. He positions the cage into the firebox, which is an awkward fit, Castiel notices, with plenty of space around the sides. So, what's the plan exactly? Castiel asks, hovering over Dean's shoulder and smelling some sort of spicy scent that makes his mouth water. Well, we need to open the flue and see if that dislodges it, and then hopefully it will follow the scent of the food into the cage, which will trap him. Dean grabs his heavy leather gloves from his back pocket and pulls them on. Sounds simple enough, Castiel says, hoping his chimney will be feline-free in the next few moments. Claire, always having a sixth sense for entertainment, wanders into the room to watch the moment of capture. Oh, hello, Dean says, smiling up at the little blonde staring from the kitchen doorway. Claire Bear, go sit at the dining room table if you want to watch, honey. Castiel directs, brooking no argument. Claire does as she's told, and the two men return their attention to the task at hand. Okay, so... Dean says, hesitantly, suddenly looking extremely reluctant. All right, I'm ready when you are, Castiel says, slightly puzzled. Dean reaches his heavily gloved hand in fits and starts towards the little lever that opens the flue, seemingly terrified to touch the thing. Castiel has no clue what is happening. Uh, whenever... Yeah, I got it, Dean snaps, reddening. He straightens and clears his throat. Sorry, it's just, this is my least favorite part. I mean, I can jump into the fray with the best of them if it's ongoing, but the calm before the storm always makes me antsy. Okay, Castiel says, wondering what on earth he's gotten himself into. This formerly self-assured man is suddenly on the verge of trembling. How about I pull the lever? Dean visibly unclenches and scoops his heavy maglite in both of his leather-gloved hands. 
I'll man the flashlight. Castiel is slightly baffled at this turn of events when he says, You do that, and bends over into position. Dean is very seriously shining the beam into the firebox as Castiel reaches his ungloved and untrained hand next to the cage and onto the flue lever. He can hear Dean's breath quickening next to him. Castiel goes to push the lever over and it won't budge. He adds pressure and still nothing. Then he feels the lever shift slightly in his hand and hears rustling coming from the firebox. The damn cat must be sitting on the flue. Castiel puts his knees on the hearth, getting closer to the firebox, and uses both hands to push and pull on the lever. Suddenly, the lever gives way and the cat lands into the firebox with a thump. The once white cat is now a smoky gray and black, covered from head to tail in soot. It rights itself and immediately squeezes out past the cage on Dean's side and jumps up right onto the mantle above. At the same time, as soon as the cat landed, Dean had jumped back and started screaming his head off. The cat takes the opportunity to run down the length of the mantle, sweeping the framed photos of Castiel, Claire, Gabe, and Anna onto the brick below, glass breaking and splintering everywhere. Kitty! Claire yells, clapping in delight and jumping up and down on her chair. Castiel guesses she didn't believe him until just now. The cat leaps from the mantle, bounds up the steps, and takes a sharp left into the kitchen, open and free to the rest of the house, leaving nothing but a sooty trail in its wake. No, Castiel yells as the cat goes to hole itself up God knows where in the rest of the house. He rounds on Dean, who's still screaming. Dean winds down as Castiel and Claire stare at him, open-mouthed. Are you okay? Castiel asks. That was scary, is all Dean can manage to say with a smile, face flaming. Chapter 3. Laying Your Cable I am such a dumbass. Dean is red as a tomato and wants to just run out of this house and never see this gorgeous man again. He and his kid are staring in disbelief at what Dean just did, probably regretting ever calling animal control in the first place. What's he doing here anyway? Helping people? Saving things? Nope. The cat is even further entrenched in the house, and Dean has made an utter fool of himself in front of the hottest guy in the tri-state area. Dean, are you all right? Castiel looks concerned and sincere, but he's probably just really good at hiding his disdain. Uh, yeah, I'm okay, Dean mutters, scratching the back of his neck. Sorry about that. That's okay. At least it was a plan. Castiel chuckles. A cat in a house is less of an emergency than a cat in a chimney. Man, he's hot and nice. He should be telling Dean off right about now, and instead he's comforting him. Daddy, can we keep the kitty? Claire calls from her spot at the dining room table. It can sleep in my room. 
Castiel turns to his daughter to let her down gently when Dean pipes up. Well, it's my job to remove it from the house. You wouldn't want me to get in trouble for not doing my job, would you? Oh, that is not good. Claire was very serious about keeping Dean in good standing with his employer. Her gigantic blue eyes extremely concerned. Come on, Daddy, she said, blonde curls bouncing as she hopped off her chair. Let's find the key for the screaming man. Dean's face still flames the next day when he thinks about the call. Finding the cat had actually been surprisingly easy after its dramatic exit from the fireplace, and so had been removing it from the house. The soot trail had led under the couch in the front room right next to the front door. All they had to do was open the front door and move the couch. Dean almost let the cat slip back into the house while he was watching Castiel's biceps and forearms tense while he held one end of the couch up. Luckily for him, the cat shot outside, looking incensed at them from the front yard while it licked a paw. Dean had hightailed it out of there almost as quickly as the cat, hoping to never have to think about this incident ever again. When he called in to tell Charlie it was taken care of, he highly edited the events to save his ego. He did tell Joe the full story. She laughed a lot. But Dean knew he was in for that no matter who he told. And Joe never blabs like Charlie does because she's as much of a disaster as he is. Dean has nothing scheduled for today except for getting his internet checked. And with the broad window of time these companies give you for their texts to show up, Dean thought it would be better to just free up his entire day. That was, of course, before he embarrassed himself all to hell and would relive the situation in his mind over and over with nothing to do. He couldn't even daydream about the sexy guy with the weird name and the cute kid without beating himself up about making such an ass of himself. If he could put it aside, he would be able to imagine asking the guy, Castiel, out maybe taking one of his large, tanned hands with the long, graceful fingers and lacing his own between them. And then, after a few dates, maybe Castiel would be comfortable for him to hang out with his daughter, and they could go do fun stuff as a little family, like putt-putt or an arcade or bowling. Man, Dean would love to do that. He would love to have kids and a boyfriend or a girlfriend and just chill out with them, he had that with Lisa and her son Ben, before they hightailed it out of town when it got to be too much for them. Left Dean in the house they shared without a second glance. That was his problem. He didn't want to go through the early stages. He wanted to settle straight into comfortable domestic bliss. But all of that was out the window anyway. He could never see this guy again. If he even just gets a sliver of a glimpse of dark sex hair or bouncing blonde curls out of the corner of his eye at the grocery store, he's going to drop everything and flee. Dean spends the morning straightening the already decently tidy house, using a magic eraser to scrub the tub and shower just so he could blast some zep and try to magic erase the memory of yesterday from his mind. He finally gets a text as he's rinsing the tub that the tech is on their way. Good. Maybe he'll be able to chill with some Netflix this afternoon. 
There's a documentary on the history of burgers in America that he's been wanting to watch while eating one of his own homemade burgers. He just needs the damn internet to make his dreams come true. Dean is straightening the towels in the bathroom when his doorbell rings. That must be the internet tech. He gives himself a quick sniff and decides to roll on some more deodorant while walking to the door, sticking it in his back pocket when he's done so that he doesn't have random deodorant sitting on the table by the front door like some weirdo. He straightens his shirt and opens the door to allow the tech access. Hello, I'm... The technician starts before freezing. Castiel. What the fuck? Standing on his front porch, wearing the cute little AT&T uniform and carrying a large tool bag, is Mr. Sex Hair cat up his chimney himself. Fuck Dean's life. Hello, Dean, Castiel says with a genuine smile on his face. It's good to see you again. Yeah, uh, hi, Dean manages, remembering what a complete jackass he made of himself. Well, come on in, he gestures, resigned to his fate, stepping back to allow Castiel access. Castiel, for his part, doesn't look like he's here to laugh at Dean some more. He actually stops to pull on his boot covers and says, You ran off so quickly yesterday. I didn't get a chance to thank you for helping with the entire crazy situation. Uh, yeah, well, the router's over here, Dean says, hurriedly leading Castiel over to the entertainment center that holds his computer and TV junk. Oh, um, sure. Castiel says, face falling slightly. He clears his throat and strides over to the entertainment center. Let me do some tests here, and then I'll probably go outside for a bit and check the line coming in. And then, where does this go? Into the basement? Uh, yeah, it's a full, unfinished basement, so you should be able to see the wires coming down. Dean says, stuffing his hands in his back pockets, before remembering there's a stick of deodorant back there. He walks quickly towards his bedroom and points at the basement door on the way. Basement's right here. Feel free to come and go. Uh, I'll be back. He bolts to the ensuite bathroom, practically hyperventilating. Great. Dean paces a little and thinks he hears the front door open and close. He grabs his phone to call Joe. He can't hide in his bathroom forever. Go for Joe! Joe greets brightly, like she's the funniest fucking person in the world. You know you're the world's biggest dork, right? Dean greets as he starts pacing around his bedroom. I have no chance of unseating you from that title, handmaiden of Moondor, Joe teases. Whatever, don't cry because Charlie didn't choose you. Maybe she didn't want her handmaiden to drool all over her boots. Did you call for a reason? Joe asks, making it clear with her deflection that Dean had struck a nerve. Uh, yeah. Dean rubs the back of his neck. You know that guy? With the cat? In the chimney? He's here. Where's here? Joe asks. At my house. Well, well, good for you, handmaiden. I thought you said you'd made a total fool of yourself. That he thought you were a complete idiot. He did. He does, Dean insists. So why is he there? He's my internet guy, 
Do you think I'd invite him over after yesterday? I never wanted to see him again. Dean's voice is getting frantic. Oh, you say that every time you do something foolish in front of a crush. And you're just trying to hook me up with any available man, just so I can have a boyfriend to go on double dates with you and Charlie, if you ever grow a spine and ask her out. It ain't happening with this one, so don't even try it, even if he has a cute kid. Dean hears noises outside of his room, meaning Castiel probably came inside and headed to the basement. He should probably speak quieter since the vents carried noises straight down there. Aw, Deanie, I know you have a soft spot for MILFs or DILFs. Maybe you're wrong about him. Didn't you say he was cute? Joe inquires. Unbelievably, Dean breathes. So, other than you screaming like your pink panties were on fire, what's the problem? One, shut up about my undergarments. And two, I'd rather find someone who didn't witness me making a complete ass of myself in the first five minutes after meeting. Well, good luck with that, Joe chortles. Seeing as you make an ass out of yourself every four minutes or so, you'll be single forever. All right, well, you're absolutely no help, Dean speaks softly. And I think he's downstairs, so I gotta go. Give him a smooch for me. Dean ends the call with an eye roll and leaves his room. The basement door is closed and the light is off, but he thought for sure he heard Castiel out here. When he comes back into the living room, Castiel is returning from outside. He gives Dean a tight smile. Uh, need the basement now? Dean asks, trying his best to meet Castiel's eyes but failing pretty miserably. Um, no, I took care of the basement stuff before I went outside to test the line, since I suspected the issue was in the basement. Oh, you were already in the basement? Dean's mind spins. How much did he hear? Anything? Dean was talking about him behind his back, and he possibly heard it. Great. Yes, I isolated the problem, and, well, you're all set. I'll be out of your hair now. Good luck. Castiel holds his thumb out, giving Dean the goofiest thumbs up and forced smile he's ever seen. And before Dean can so much as breathe, Castiel is hitching his bag up on his shoulder and heading towards the door. Thanks, he calls after him glumly as the door shuts. Well, that settles that. He can put it all behind him and move on with his life. No more dark sex hair, no more bright blue eyes. Just himself and his internet. Dean sighs. She gets on school about four o'clock, turns on the radio and starts to rock. The telephone rings about a dozen times. It's all her friends on the end of the line. Chapter 4. Finding a Handyman. No, come on. Castiel grumbles as he checks his dishwasher in the morning. Yesterday, when he went to bed, he pressed the start button and hoped for the best. He had been 99% sure he had pressed start that evening after loading the dinner dishes into it. But when he was on his way to bed that night, he realized it hadn't run. On the 1% chance that hadn't been the case, he pressed the start button again and went to bed. But this morning was no different. The dishes were still dirty, with no sign of any water having run through the machine. Upon further inspection, Castiel sees that there are some lights flashing on the control panel in a sequence. 
knowing that these things are typically indicators for what type of issue one is facing. Castiel goes about his morning routine and gets Claire off to school, before rifling through the filing cabinet in his office for the manuals and various paperwork left by the previous owners. The kitchen was updated right before the house was put on the market, so there's a chance the dishwasher is still under warranty. The first thing he looks for is the instruction manual. He flips to the troubleshooting section and discovers that this particular pattern of lights indicates an issue with the door latch. The manual instructs him to flip the breaker to the dishwasher to see if that corrects the issue. He does as instructed, but the lights are still flashing their now annoying sequence. The next thing he checks is the receipts and purchase agreements for the appliances for the warranty information. Of course, he grumbles, upon discovering that the warranty had expired two months prior. Looks like he's in need of a reliable appliance repair service. He notices he's running late for work, so he tries to shove his stress aside and heads out the door. Hitting extra traffic on his way, he grumbles about how things just don't seem to be going his way. He still feels weird and awkward about the past two encounters with the animal control guy turned internet service customer, Dean. And then he feels terrible that his love life is so completely non-existent that this is the situation he's upset about. A man who was performing a service, and then that he unwittingly performed a service for in return. There was nothing remotely intimate or groundbreaking, but he can't get the man out of his mind and would love to see him again, in a non-professional capacity. Sadly, he knows that Dean does not feel the same way. He feels terrible about overhearing his phone conversation, but it at least solidified to Castiel that there was no need to get worked up over anything. Dean never wanted to see him again. He said as much, twice, to whoever he was speaking to on the phone. It also confirmed his suspicion that Dean wasn't totally straight, but that is, unfortunately, neither here nor there. It wasn't Castiel's fault that the sound traveled so well directly underneath where Dean was standing. He had finished his work quickly and made his way outside before he heard anything else, but it had definitely soured his mood. Overhearing someone hissing, I never wanted to see him again, into a phone about you is definitely a recipe for a bad mood. Traffic finally clearing, Castiel sighs. He's about ten minutes late when he gets to work, but his supervisor, Donna, gives him a big smile. Oh, there you are, Donna chirps as she stirs her coffee. I was wondering if you didn't get a raccoon stuck in your dryer vent or something. Donna was tickled pink by the cat chimney story, asking him to retell it when her boyfriend, Doug, showed up to take her to lunch. I apologize for my tardiness. Castiel says, rushing to check the call list for the day. I'm just glad you're here. We've got quite a few calls to split this morning, and that big install together this afternoon, Donna says jovially. My dishwasher appears to be broken. I was trying to determine if it was covered under a warranty, but it appears that I'll have to pay out of pocket for a repair. Castiel explains, pouring himself some coffee. Donna perks up. Oh, well, if you don't have a person in mind, I have a couple of real reliable friends that could help you out. Hang on, I have their card. Donna says as she rummages through her purse. That would be extremely helpful, thank you. 
Castiel is visibly relieved. Being new in town makes it difficult to know which services are reliable. Oh, yeah, I get that, Donna beams, handing him a business card. The card is a hunter green color, which, like a lot of things these past few days, reminds him of Dean. It reads, Winchester Brothers Appliance and Salvage. Under that, in smaller type, it says, Saving People Money, Hunting for Bargains. There's a phone number and a Facebook page on it as well. These guys are just the best. They'll take real good care of you. Donna beams, hitching her tool bag onto her shoulder. Well, I'm off for my first call. See you this afternoon for the install. Castiel waves after her and leaves for his own call. During his lunch break, he peruses the Facebook page for Winchester Brothers and sees there are plenty of good reviews and no bad ones, so he calls the number on the card. Uh, Winchester Brothers, how can I help you? A deep voice answers. Yes, hello, I have a dishwasher in need of repair. Castiel begins. Well, you've called the right place. I'm Sam. I can probably help you out. So what's going on with it? Castiel recounts to Sam the problems he was having and made an appointment for the following evening to come to see if it's fixable. He hopes that this in-home service technician will work out better than the last one. And no, not in the I hope this one is interested in me sort of way. In the I hope he does his job and gets out way. Of course. Castiel doesn't need to pick up every person who crosses his threshold. He doesn't. Castiel finishes his big install with Donna that afternoon, picks Claire up from the after-school care and drives home. With a sigh, he starts unloading the dishwasher he carefully loaded the night before and gets to hand-washing. Hopefully by tomorrow evening, he'll have a working dishwasher again. Dean dumps himself into his Impala with a large sigh. It's been a long day. With an animal call and three appointments for appliance repair, he's been shoved into cramped, dirty spaces several times today, and he just wants to go home and take a shower. The litter of baby foxes stuck under the deck of a home were sure cute, but crawling under the deck to pass them out one by one had made Dean decidedly less cute. On the bright side, at least he's been busy enough not to mope around about his sad state of love affairs. The only person he found remotely attractive lately is someone who thought he was the world's biggest idiot. Same story, different day. While driving down the winding rural road from the washing machine repair, Dean holds his hand out of the window and lets it do dolphin jumps in the wind, trying to just unwind. His phone buzzes on his hip, making him jump a little. It's an unknown but local number. Hello? Dean answers. Dean, Jess is in labor. Sam starts without preamble. Wait, isn't she early? Is everything okay? Dean starts to press on the gas a little more to gun it to the hospital. Well, she's due next week, technically, but at the last doctor's appointment, she was three centimeters dilated, and she passed her mucus plug, so we... Sam. Dilation? Mucus plug? Dude. TMI. Sorry. (laughs) I forgot I was talking to my 14-year-old brother. Sam snipes, and Dean can practically hear his bitch face. Anyway... I left my cell phone and everything in the house. 
But we are at the hospital and everything is fine. Jess and the baby are doing good so far. Oh, well, shit, that's great, man. You want me to go get your phone and bring it to you? I gotta pick up some cigars and sit in the waiting room to meet my little niece or nephew anyway. Well, yes, that would be great, but her nurse said we will probably be here for a while. And I have an appointment for a dishwasher repair that I needed to get to that I won't make now. Can you do that first and then go get my phone? I'm pretty sure I left it on the dining room table at my house. Well, sure, Sammy, I'll take care of it. I've got my spare key to your house. Do you have the info for the repair? Well, that's the thing. My folio is with my phone, but I remember the address. <laughs> Lucky you're a giant nerd with an eidetic memory. Dean teases. Thanks, jerk. It's 732 Jefferson Street at 6 p.m. Dean sucks in a small breath and shakes his head. That's Castiel's street, but not his house. Hopefully he can get into the neighbor's house without having to encounter him. The last thing he wants is another embarrassing encounter with the guy he can't quite seem to get away from. All right, I'll take care of it, and just remember... Man, am I glad you can't get here right away. Actually, scratch that. I'd love to see Jess tear you a new one if you try to crack wise with her right now. Tell her I hope the little booger doesn't have a watermelon head like you do. Happy dilation. I'll be there as soon as I can. Dean says, signing off. He pulls up to 732 Jefferson Street, right before 6 o'clock, and grabs his tool bag from the trunk. He knocks on the door and looks down and across the street at Castiel's house. It all looks quiet, so no harm done. Thank goodness it doesn't appear as if he and his daughter are playing or doing any sort of front yard maintenance. Hopefully they're not taking a walk or anything. If someone would just open the damn door. Can I help you? A woman, slightly older than Dean and a complete knockout, answers the door. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm here to look at your dishwasher. <laughs> You're looking at her, she says with a smile. Oh, uh, no, really, I'm here to repair your appliance. You, your, your dishwasher. Dean stammers as the woman's smile turns predatory. She peers out the door past Dean, looking one way and then another. Well, I could use a good fixin', but this seems like a setup to a bad porno. Did someone put you up to this? Dean laughs. No, ma'am, it must have been a mistaken address. So much for the eidetic memory, asshat. Dean thinks. I'll just go double-check the paperwork and find the right house. Oh, well, if you change your mind, you know where I live, she said with a pointed expression, closing the door. Shit. Now what? He can't call Sam. He doesn't have the correct address. And he can't just bail on a customer waiting. That's a good way to get a bad review spread around about you. He decides the best course of action is to hightail it to Sam's to check for the proper address. He has to go there anyway, and it's in the opposite direction between him and the hospital right now. So long as Sam didn't get the entire street name mixed up in his baby panic. Dean rushes to Sam's house and lets himself in. Sam's messenger bag is sitting on the dining room table with his phone tucked inside. He opens the bag and finds the folio, where he keeps his appointments and client paperwork. He scans for the date and time he needs and suppresses a groan. 
In Sam's precise, blocky handwriting, he sees Castiel Novak, Dishwasher Repair, 6 p.m., 723 Jefferson Street. Motherfucker. He has no choice. He still has no way of getting a hold of Sam to say he's not going to do it. What's he going to do? Calling in the delivery room and say, sorry, trade ya? Both Sam and Jess will have his head if he lets his idiotic sense of pride screw something up right now. He will just have to suck it up, pull on his big boy panties, and go fix a fucking dishwasher. He checks the time. It's now 6.40. It's going to take him at least 20 minutes to get back to Castiel's house, but he has to do it. He grabs Sam's bag and heads off to his doom. Chapter 5. Servicing Your Dishwasher Alexa, shuffle with the Claire Songs playlist. Claire commands confidently towards the echo speaker in the kitchen. Castiel, washing dishes and up to his elbows in hot, soapy water, groans. Claire Bear, do you have to listen to that now? After appeasing his daughter by playing them most of the five-hour trip when they moved here, He's ready for a long, read infinite, break from the pop songs that Claire has compiled. She will hear something on the radio that she likes and ask, Can you add that to my playlist? And Castiel will find the radio edit and add it. Claire loves listening to it while she plays with various and sundry toys, making up hundreds of scenarios with all of her tiny figures. She just bebops to music while role-playing different interpersonal scenarios, but Castiel has to pretend he isn't paying attention or she gets embarrassed. But I like it, Claire protests, and Castiel relents, stretching his back a little to ease the ache of standing over the just barely too short for him sink. He has had enough frustration in the past week without having to put up with a grumpy child while washing the dishes he had hoped to be able to run through the dishwasher. But it seems as if the appliance repair person, Sam, isn't going to show. It's been an hour since he said he would be there, and it's getting dark. Castiel doesn't want to leave the dishes overnight, and just wants to get them out of the way. If that means Claire listening to her god-awful music, then so be it. Stooping over the sink once again to wash a large mixing bowl, he feels his abdomen hit the counter ledge, completely soaking a nice thick stripe of his fading and ragged old blue t-shirt. He hisses at the cool feeling and sighs at the familiar trouble. It's a minor annoyance, but all of these minor annoyances are really adding up lately. Daddy, I want to help. Oh, well, how nice of you, Claire Bear, Castiel praises, even though he knows it will be more trouble than it's worth like most things are when a four-year-old is involved. It is good for her development to be involved in chores. Here, get the step stool and you can rinse while I wash. But you have to be really careful not to drop them. The plates can get slippery and they will break if you drop them. He gets Claire set up and pulls out the sprayer attachment that is built into the faucet. Okay, Claire, I'm going to turn this on and it's going to spray, so make sure you don't. 
As he turned on the faucet, his sweet little girl immediately held it up to look directly at the sprayer, and ended up spluttering with a face full of water. "'Claire, are you okay?' he exclaims, immediately grabbing a dish towel to wipe her chubby face. She starts giggling from under the dish towel, and Castiel whips it away and pokes her in the stomach. "'Oh, you think that's funny, huh?' She nods vigorously while he holds her hand with the sprayer pointing into the sink and turns the faucet on as low as it will go. Let's see if you can get the water on the dishes and not on us. It all goes pretty smoothly until Claire goes to rinse a spoon and the water splashes back towards her. In her haste to stop the spoon wave, she yanks the sprayer away, which just so happens to hit Castiel square in the chest. Castiel gasps and dives for the faucet handle, sputtering as the spray is now hitting him in the face until he finally gets it turned off. Sorry, Daddy! Claire yells as she's giggling again, probably thinking this is the most fun thing that's ever happened in her life. Catching his breath from his unexpected cold shower, Castiel gives a sly smile to his daughter. You did that on purpose, didn't you? No, I didn't. Claire declares earnestly, but that is undermined a little as she starts laughing so hard that she gives herself the hiccups. Castiel grabs a freshly rinsed glass from the dish strainer, fills it with fresh water, and hands it to Claire as he hears a knock on his front door. Alexa, stop, Castiel calls, pausing the music as he runs a dish towel over his hair quickly to stop the dripping. Figuring that's as good as it's going to get, he pulls open the door to see who knocked. He stops, playing in his tracks. Dean is standing on his front porch, shifting his weight from foot to foot. Hey, Castiel, Dean says as he scratches the back of his neck. Then he stops short. You okay? He asks weakly. Oh, um, yes, I was washing the dishes. With Claire. Castiel says, gesturing to himself as if that explains everything. Dean chuckles. Step one, the water goes in the sink. A crucial step missed by all. Can I ask what you are doing here? Last Castiel knew, Dean was quite adamant about never seeing him again. Why would he just show up here? Did he change his mind? I'm here to look at your dishwasher. Disappointed and confused, Castiel squints and tilts his head. You? No, I hired Sam Winchester to fix my dishwasher, but he hasn't showed. Yeah, well, Sammy, my brother, is about to be a dad, which means I'm about to be an uncle, so he sent me over here to take care of it. I thought your last name was Brayden. What? No? Oh, you meant the name on my internet account. No, no, that was my ex-girlfriend's name. I just haven't changed it over. Oh, my mistake, I suppose. So your last name is Winchester? As in, Winchester Brothers Appliance? And salvage. Saving people money? Hunting for bargains? The family business. Dean flashes him a million-dollar grin. But I thought you were an animal control technician. Castiel still isn't sure this isn't all one big prank. Well, yeah, I'm that too, but there aren't enough feral cats and chimneys to make that a nine-to-five. Didn't I tell you that I'm a jack-of-all-trades? You did, yes. 
This is another one of my trades, Cass. Castiel notes the shortened version of his name and has to admit that it sounds good coming from his lips. All right, well, I suppose I should show you to the kitchen. Castiel relents, letting Dean pass the threshold. Although I imagine you remember where it is. Yeah, I remember. Thanks, man. Dean hitches the tool bag on his shoulder a little higher and walks through the front room to the kitchen. Claire has busied herself by lining up some Paw Patrol figures along the sink and giving them a demonstration on how to properly wash a spoon. Hey, Blondie, Dean says, passing by Claire. Daddy is the screaming man. Claire Elizabeth, this man's name is Mr. Winchester, and you need to call him that. Oh, no, please call me Dean. Dean rushes. I'll keep turning around looking for my dad to tell me I'm fixing your dishwasher all wrong if you call me that. Can I help you, Dean? Claire asks, bouncing on the step stool. Claire, Dean is going to be very busy, and he doesn't need you to. Well, sure, kiddo. I need an assistant to hand me my tools while I work, so come on down here. Dean quickly looks to Castiel, uh, if that's all right. If it wouldn't be a hindrance to you, I'm sure Claire would love to help. Thank you. No problem, Cass. Dean pulls a soft yellow kneeboard from his tool bag and places it on the floor next to him as he lowers himself onto the hardwood floor, wincing slightly without knee protection. I have a special spot for my assistant to sit and everything. Right here. Daddy's my favorite color. Yellow. He says there's a special spot for me. That's great, Claire Bear. Be sure to listen carefully to Dean so you don't hurt him or yourself with anything. Claire settles down on the kneeboard and watches Dean like a hawk for her first instructions. Okay, so you are the keeper of the flashlight, Dean informs her, handing her a black mag light. I don't need it on yet, but when I do, you are responsible for it. Claire is bouncing with excitement from being bestowed such a high honor. Castiel doesn't know quite what to do, so he busies himself with rearranging the pantry subtly. He's only been there a few weeks, but all of the food that's at Claire's level is haphazard, and he has a perfect line of sight to be the responsible parent who doesn't leave his child alone with the handyman. And if that just so happens to give him an eyeful of Dean kneeling and flexing as he works, well, no one said parenting was easy. Dean reaches under the sink and turns off the water before turning to the dishwasher. Hey, Blondie, hand me the Phillips screwdriver. Dean instructs, while touching the exact one he needs, giving Claire something to do. She plucks it out of his tool bag and hands it to him reverently. Just the one I need. You're a lifesaver. Dean beams at her. Castiel feels his heart clench watching the interaction. Dean removes the front panel of the dishwasher and asks Claire to point the flashlight on a certain part that Castiel suspects is lit just fine. All right, kiddo, we need a three-sixteenth-inch hex head to get these screws out of here. How high can you count? I can count to the twenty, but sometimes Daddy says I skip some. Okay, Dean says, pulling a little fabric bundle out of his tool bag that rolls out to a massive amount of drill and driver bits. Do you know your left from your right? Yes. Claire holds up her left hand with her thumb perpendicular to the rest of her hand. This hand makes an L. It's the left. 
Wow, that's a neat trick. How do you make your hand spell a letter? Dean exclaims. You does it too. Clara wiggles. Dean holds his hand out and makes his left hand into an L, his jaw dropping dramatically in surprise for Claire's benefit. Well, what do you know? It does. Okay, well, we need a little piece of metal that's called a bit that's on the right side of this. So which one is the right? Claire points to the correct side. Good. Can you find the one that says a three and then a line and then a sixteen? A one and a six? Claire asks. That's the one, kiddo. Dean smiles. It takes a little while and some more gentle direction from Dean, but eventually they settle on the correct bit. Dean pops it into his electric screwdriver and starts to remove the inner components of the machine. Claire and Dean work companionably. Claire asks him where he learned to do this, and Dean explains that at her age, he was fixing stuff with his dad, helping out by handing him the proper tools and changing the stations on the radio so there will always be good working tunes. I like music, too. I have a playlist. I like to shuffle the Claire Songs playlist. Roar by Katy Perry starts playing, and Dean laughs. Good job, kiddo. That's pretty fancy. Daddy lets me put my favorite songs on my playlist. Claire and Dean both look over at Castiel, who stopped idly rearranging the same six boxes of snacks ages ago and is just watching the two of them become fast friends. Yes, she finds a lot of favorites. Castiel nods. Well, that's great, Claire, Dean says encouragingly, turning his head back towards her. Music is very important. They start working again, Dean having detached several components from the dishwasher and laid them out on a cloth. The song changes to 34 plus 35 by Ariana Grande. Whoa, Dean says quietly, hands deep in the dishwasher. Did you find the problem? That sounds bad, Castiel worries. Uh, no, no, I haven't isolated the problem yet. Dean rushes out. I just wasn't expecting this song on a four-year-old's playlist. What's wrong with it? Yeah, I like it, Claire exclaims. Oh, sure, Blondie, it's a good song, Dean says quickly and turns back to his task. Actually, I'm pretty thirsty. Can you take a cup and get me some water from the bathroom sink? I turned this one's water off already. Once Claire has taken a glass to the bathroom, Castiel repeats his question. What's wrong with it, Dean? Struggling to match Cass's level of intensity, Dean visibly holds back a smile as he answers with a question of his own. Cass, what is 34 plus 35? Oh, Castiel gasps. No, that's not possible. I made sure it was a radio edit. Dean smirks. Well, sure. There's a lot of clean things that turn out to be very dirty, depending on how you say it. Castiel is pale and a little bit queasy as he listens to the song play. Side 
Oh my god. Castiel cries weekly. Alexa, stop. Chapter 6 Invitation to a Weenie Roast I am so embarrassed, Dean. Castiel anguishes as Claire teeters back into the room, carrying a glass full to the brim with water. Dean is so relieved that it's his turn to be magnanimous and, honestly, it's quite endearing that Castiel was so clueless to the song's contents. It's totally fine, Cass. Dean chuckles, waving him off. Maybe now we can start fresh with a clean slate. Thanks, Blondie. He winks at Claire, taking the glass of water from her and gulping down half of it. Castiel squints and tilts his head. Clean slate? What do you mean? Dude, I made a complete a- He shoots a quick glance to Claire. Idiot of myself with that cat. I never wanted to see you again because I was so embarrassed. Oh. Castiel's forehead clears. I didn't realize that was why you never wanted to see me again. I overheard you saying that about me and assumed the worst. Dean winces. Yeah, I was afraid you had heard something. Man, I really know how to mess things up. I think it's safe to say we are both responsible for making assumptions. So, about that clean slate. I'm game if you are, Cass. Dean grins. And I think I found your issue. The door latch isn't faulty. The sensor was just dirty. So I'm giving everything a good cleaning and it should be good to go. Well, that's great news. Castiel smiles. I hate washing dishes by hand. I hear ya. Why do it by hand if you have something you can stick it in and turn on? Dean says. He's slightly confused when he sees Castiel's eyebrows shoot towards his hairline and a smirk trying to break free on his lips. Then his brain catches up with him and he can feel his ears burning. I mean, sure, of course. Castiel chuckles. Dean doesn't know what to say, so he just turns to Claire, who is waiting attentively for her next instructions. Okay, kiddo, we need to get these parts squeaky clean. Want to help me shine them up? Dean left Castiel with a clean slate and some soon-to-be-clean dishes humming along happily in the working dishwasher, but not much else. He was too chicken shit to do much more than attempt to flirt with him and would turn his attention to Claire once things got a little too pointed. She really was the sweetest little thing, and Dean was immediately wrapped around her little finger. While Castiel retrieved his checkbook from his office, Claire even said to him, You're my friend, aren't you? Dean's heart clenched with the adorableness of it, so he replied, Of course I am, Blondie. As little children are wont to do, she shared with him the details of her life he was not too sure Castiel would have appreciated. She had said that she used to have another daddy, 
but that he left them before they moved here. Dean got the impression that, while she didn't seem too upset about it, it affected her immensely for someone she thought was a permanent member of her life to just disappear. His mind immediately went to Ben, hoping he wasn't affected too much by his breakup with Lisa. But he supposed there's not much he can do about it. Leaving was Lisa's decision, and Ben was Lisa's kid. He was just the person left with a giant hole in his life. The perils of dating single parents. After making an awkward leave of the two blue-eyed angels, Dean rushed over to the hospital to give Sam his phone and check in on how things were going. Instead of going home, he offered himself up as point person to go fetch whatever the couple needed, and Sam had him running around the rest of the night. He finally settled in the waiting room around midnight, waiting to meet the newest little Winchester. An hour later, he heard the lullaby playing over the hospital loudspeaker, signifying to the entire ward that a baby was just born. He hoped that this was for Jess and not one of the other laboring moms, but he had to wait more than an hour longer to find out. Finally, a nurse came to get him to tell him he could go in. When he walks in, Sam is standing at Jess's shoulder, and they are both staring down at a tiny little bundle, attempting to breastfeed. It's such a touching sight that Dean just has to whip out his phone and take a picture. Send that to me, Jess says tiredly, without even looking up from her newborn's face. Sure thing. How are you feeling? Dean asks in a whisper, not wanting to disrupt the serenity of the scene before him. Like my bottom half was chewed up and spit out, she says, but her smile tells him that it was all worth it. The baby takes that moment to unlatch and start crying, Jess wincing at whatever the move just did to her nipple. Seems like your top half is being chewed up and spit out now, (laughs) Dean jokes. Jess still hasn't even made eye contact with him, but makes sure to flip him the bird while scooping up her little one to rest on her shoulder. Sam takes the opportunity to help Jess cover up a little and adjusts the blanket over her legs while she gently attempts to soothe and burp the little one. The baby starts to settle, making soft little grunting sounds until winding down to silence. Jessica shifts the swaddled babe back into her arms and finally looks up at Dean. Uncle Dean, meet Karen Deanna Winchester, your niece. Dean makes grabby hands towards the little burrito. Gimme, is all he says, but inside his heart is melting into a puddle of goo and dripping down his ribcage. Ask her to go steady. The answer is she's not quite ready. Ask her who's her big old mask. She laughs and says, I just love the dance. Daddy, can we have another cookout this weekend? Claire asks while sitting at the breakfast bar, drawing intently with a pink marker on a piece of paper. Castiel is seasoning some chicken for dinner and daydreaming about the appliance repairman who was on his knees in his kitchen just last night. Daddy? Oh, well, sure thing, Claire Bear. It was a lot of fun. We should make it a regular thing. Do you want to roast hot dogs and marshmallows? Claire nods. Alexa, add hot dog buns and marshmallows to my shopping list. Castiel says, watching the Echo Dot light up blue. 
He can't get over how handy it is to have the little contraption that Gabriel gave him as a housewarming gift. Can I invite my new friend over? Claire asks, still drawing. That would be great. I can't wait for you to make a bunch of friends in your new town. You know what will be fun? If you invited your friend to stay overnight. Castiel sees Claire giggling with her classmates when he picks her up from school, and he longs for her to have a childhood full of laughter and friendship. Really? A real sleepover? Daddy, can we camp in the backyard? Sleep in the tent? That'll be so much fun. Claire is bouncing up and down now. Of course. I would have to check with their guardian and make sure it's okay. But I would love for you to have a backyard camping sleepover. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. Claire exclaims and runs to the office to get another piece of paper. Castiel pauses a bit in his prepping to think. He hadn't realized that Claire's friend was a boy. But he doesn't want to stifle a friendship over something as trivial as gender. He wants Claire to make friends with all kinds of people. And at their age, what can a co-ed sleepover hurt? Only having sleepovers with friends of strictly the same gender was archaic. Plus, with gender fluidity and the entire spectrum of labels that people use, who was he to say which one of those labels qualifies as acceptable for a fun night with a friend? Perhaps this is something that should be pondered further. But a four-year-old's first sleepover shouldn't be full of strife. He's just going to roll with it. He only hopes that the boy's family agrees to it without it being an issue. That's great, sweetie, Castiel finally says, sticking the chicken into the oven to bake. Castiel went about tidying up while dinner was baking, unloading the thankfully clean dishes from the dishwasher and putting them away so that he could pop the dirty ones from dinner in there. Claire continues to concentrate on her drawing, abnormally focused, but Castiel is grateful for it. When Claire declares that she's finished with the invitation, she folds it crookedly several times over, then scurries to Castiel's office to grab an envelope. She stuffs the awkwardly folded paper into the envelope and licks it far too thoroughly to seal it. Castiel shudders internally, making a mental note to let it dry thoroughly overnight before letting Claire stick it in her backpack to take to school. When dinner is ready, Castiel plates it for the two of them and tells Claire to go wash up. Claire runs to the bathroom to wash her hands as Castiel arranges everything on the table. They dig into their dinner and talk about their days. Are you going to take your invitation to your friend at school tomorrow, Claire? Castiel asks after he swallowed and took a drink. Take a bite of green beans, please. Feel my belly. I don't think there's room for them. Claire declares, pulling up her shirt. I don't need to feel it to know there's plenty of room in there. Put your shirt down and eat. I made some banana pudding, and you won't get any if you don't eat what I put on your plate. Castiel was always careful to put very small portions on her plate if he expected her to clean it. She could always get seconds, but the amount he put on there was more than reasonable for her size. Claire decides that the possibility of banana pudding was worth attempting to eat some green beans, so she starts picking at them, inspecting each piece for any blemish that could possibly disqualify them for consumption. Eventually, they get through dinner, and Castiel scoots Claire off for a bath while he cleans up. He places the soggy invitation she created on top of her backpack to dry for the morning. 
The next day, he instructs Claire to grab her backpack on her way out of the door to school. She takes the invitation from on top and sets it aside, marching to the door. Wait, don't you want to put your invitation in your backpack? Castiel asks, grabbing his keys. No. Claire declares. Okay, do you want to hold it? No. Claire, you have to actually give your friend the invitation you made, so that he knows to come over. Castiel says, confused, that this needs explaining. I don't want to take it to school. It might get lost. Claire says simply. How will you give it to your friend if not at school? Castiel asks, completely baffled. Claire squints at her dad and tilts her head. My friend doesn't go to school. Oh, Jesus, is this like an imaginary friend situation? Oh, okay, Castiel says, ready to just be done with this conversation before they are both late to start their days. Castiel is buckling Claire into her car seat when she asks, Can you take me to Dean's house to deliver the imitation today? Castiel stops short from closing the door. Dean? Yeah, my new friend, Dean. She says simply, Your friend, who you want to have a sleepover with, is the grown man who fixed our dishwasher and helped with the cat. Yes. Claire looks at him like he's a complete idiot. The screaming man. You said not to call him that. Castiel finally closes the door and rounds the car to the driver's seat. Claire, you can't invite an adult man to have a sleepover with you. Castiel sighs, buckling himself in. Why not? Claire starts, kicking her little feet. You said I could. Daddy, please. Claire, be reasonable. Castiel pleads, twisting to face her. Well, can he have a sleepover with you? And I'll be there too? Please, Daddy, please. Claire is on the verge of tears now. Honey, we can invite Dean to have a cookout, but the sleeping over isn't going to happen. Castiel shakes his head, thinking that he wouldn't mind Dean coming over for a sleepover. But you said... Claire's in full tears now, and the last thing Castiel wants is for Claire to go into school crying. That's just a setup for a bad day. Okay, okay, Claire. Castiel soothes and shifts the car into gear. Let's get to school before you're late. It will all work out, don't worry. We will invite Dean over for the cookout and go from there. Chapter 7. Poorly Drawn Hot Dogs Castiel knocks on Dean's door, holding his daughter's hand, his heart beating loudly in his ears. After appeasing her on the way to school, he had hoped he could distract her about his promise to invite Dean. He should have known that her steel trap mind wouldn't let him forget. She had worn him down, and through a series of events that Castiel can't quite understand, he is now standing unannounced on this poor man's doorstep. Dean must be home. Castiel can see the behemoth of a car in the driveway. As he waits, he mentally runs through his course of action. Do nothing. Claire is here to invite Dean as her friend. It's cute. Kids are cute. Let her do the talking. Laugh it off as all ridiculous fun. 
He's not the one inviting this gorgeous man over for a cookout. Claire is. He could actually believe that all these things he's chanting in his head aren't complete lies. If it weren't for the buzz of excitement thrumming just under the surface of his skin, from simply the possibility of seeing Dean again and potentially scoring a quasi-date, he would love more than anything to date this man. He's kind and handy and is great with Claire. He's funny and forgiving and seems to have his shit together. And that's not even mentioning the superficial reasons. Like his eyes, or his sinful lips, or his broad shoulders and strong arms. A blush frames his face as the click of the lock brings him back to the present, and he shoves those thoughts away quickly. The door opens to reveal Dean, dressed comfortably in gray sweatpants and an ACDC t-shirt, with a surprised but seemingly pleased look on his face. Well, hey there, Novaks. To what do I owe the pleasure? Castiel nudges Claire slightly. Here. Claire bounces, shoving the invitation towards Dean with a smile on her face as she walks past him into his house. Claire, get back here. Castiel whispers shouts over Dean's shoulder. She doesn't have a shy bone in her body, does she? Dean chuckles, shaking his head. He stands back from the door with a welcome gesture to Castiel. Come on in. Castiel enters the living room to see Claire opening the drawer of the end table next to his couch. He just wants to crawl under the couch and die. Claire Elizabeth, you close that drawer. Castiel hisses. Claire swiftly closes the drawer and turns on Dean. You haven't opened it yet, she tells him simply, looking at the envelope in his hand. Uh, yeah, sorry, Blondie. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind. Dean jokes, with more good nature than Castiel could have ever imagined given the situation. Dean opens the envelope and pulls out the haphazardly folded paper. A smirk crawls across his face as he asks with a giggle, Uh, <laughs> what's this? We're inviting you to a sleepover. Claire beams. We are inviting you to a cookout. Castiel corrects her. We will be sleeping in a tent outside after you leave. Oh, okay. This picture makes more sense now. Castiel's face drains of all color. What does the picture look like? I didn't even see it because I thought she was inviting a school friend. Dean smiles broadly as he turns to show Castiel Claire's drawing. There are two potato-bodied people with what looks to be extremely large penises and a smaller person sporting a huge grin. The bottom of the drawing has two people sleeping in a bed, their middle regions covered by a very lumpy blanket, almost like they are both pitching tents. Claire, what did you draw? Castiel asks weakly. Claire points to the well-endowed figures. Daddy, you and Dean are making hot dogs. He exhales before answering her, trying not to betray his relief. Hot dogs, of course. And who is in bed together? That's us sleeping. Claire says simply. Then he says we couldn't have a sleepover. She sticks out her bottom lip, making it clear that Castiel put a huge wrench in her plans. Where are you in the sleeping picture? Dean asks, hiding a grin. Under the blankets. Claire said, giggling. 
Oh, yes, she does like to hide at night, and I pretend to find her. Castiel explains to Dean, making air quotes with his fingers. To Castiel's relief, Dean does not appear annoyed in the least. He looks completely delighted by the little girl, who has already taken off her shoes and is currently making herself comfortable on Dean's couch, pulling the blanket off the back and covering herself up. Well, since you all are here, Dean says, his eyes still on Claire and dancing with amusement. Why don't I get you a drink? So, is it a date, or is it a play date with his kid? Sam asks, bouncing little Karen on his shoulder as he paces the living room. Shut up, Sammy. It's a date, Dean grouses, but he can't keep up the ruse of a sour mood. Claire is quite possibly the cutest kid he's ever met. Castiel is quite possibly the cutest man he's ever met. And he has a date this weekend with both of them. His heart is full just from the potential. Well, you said Claire is the one who invited you. Sam raises his eyebrows. Yeah, well, maybe he's using his kid to bag a hot guy. Respect, Dean winks. When the Novaks visited unexpectedly yesterday, he and Castiel had chatted and flirted while Claire bebopped around his house, pulling out magazines, DVDs, and snooping in everything on her level. He managed to distract Castiel enough with conversation that he wasn't constantly apologizing for Claire acting her age. It was fine. He didn't have anything to hide. Well, not anything that wasn't already well hidden. Castiel had explained that it really was Claire's idea for the cookout, but Dean's been around long enough to tell when someone's in to him. Plus, he's sure he heard Castiel's breath hitch when he gave him a beer and they accidentally brushed hands. With an eye roll, Sam passes Karen off to Dean while he prepares her bottle. She's still fairly content, but Dean knows, and Sammy is learning, that baby's moods can turn on a dime. Best to be two steps ahead, or you'll regret it. From the kitchen, he hears Sammy crow with delight. Those are some big hot dogs you two got, Dean, Sam calls, and Dean knows he found Claire's invitation hanging on the refrigerator. Dean sighs. KD, he coos at the baby. Just you wait until you're old enough to make fun of your dad. If I want you to know about all of his embarrassing stories, I'd better start telling you now. Karen looks up at him, slightly cross-eyed, not quite old enough to give a smile, but definitely interested. When your daddy met your mommy, Dean starts, daddy and Uncle Dean had just eaten a bunch of bean burritos from a gas station. Claire Elizabeth, pick up those sand toys and put them in the sandbox, please. Castiel calls as Claire is skipping from paving stone to paving stone in the flower beds. He spent all day making his backyard picture perfect for tonight. The tent is in the middle of the backyard, in front of the trampoline. Evenly spaced tiki torches line the front of the tent, which is a safe distance from the fire pit. Folding chairs circle the fire pit and the air mattress is safely in the tent with some blankets and pillows. 
He mowed and weed-whacked first thing this morning, before it got too hot, and made sure the flower beds were clean and watered. Now the only thing left to do is shower and make sure they have all the food they'll need for tonight. He knows he still needs buns and marshmallows, but he also wants to pick up some bratwurst and some beer, along with peppers and onions, so the grown-ups aren't eating Oscar Myers with ketchup only like Claire. Castiel showers quickly after supervising the sand toy cleanup, then takes Claire to the store for the essentials. He's got about three hours before Dean is supposed to arrive. Plenty of time to get everything ready, and then change into his super-casual cookout outfit that totally wasn't planned and did not need both Anna and Gabe's input multiple times. Walking down the aisles of the supermarket, Claire gets a free balloon and floral, makes faces in the mirror in the meat section, gets a cookie from the bakery, and promptly drops it on the floor, dances a little jig in the cleaning section security monitor, and is apparently in a secret contest to see how many things she can touch since she's brushing her hand down every aisle. In other words, it's a normal shopping trip with Claire. As he's loading his groceries onto the belt and telling Claire, no, you cannot have a Kinder Egg. Those toys are complete junk, and we are having s'mores tonight. Castiel sees none other than Dean in profile three checklings down, and immediately becomes distracted by the man's unabashed beauty. His lips, in particular, are absolutely sinful. Not for the first time. Castiel worries that he's involving his child in his love life prematurely. He can tell himself all he wants that Claire came up with the idea to invite Dean. But Castiel would have shut it down if he weren't interested in Dean romantically. What if it fizzles out before it gets started? What if it implodes after it's well and truly started? Why does Castiel just want to stand at that starting line anyway? Just give him this one. It can be his cautionary tale if need be. He just wants this one mulligan. He just wants. Castiel zones back in when the cashier says, That will be 4867, please. Oh, of course, he mutters inserting his card chip first and going through the motions of approving the transaction. He looks for Dean, but he must have had fewer groceries, since he seems to be long gone. Castiel waits patiently for the bagger to finish bagging his purchases, but spies a pack of Hubba Bubba bubble tape and a baby bottle pop at the end of the bagging belt. He gives Claire a speculative look, but she's just standing there giving him a sweet smile. Don't think I don't know what you did, you little stinker, Castiel whispers to her as she giggles. You're lucky I didn't catch you until after I paid. Dean is running behind. He had to run to the store to get the special ingredient for his green beans. Henriksen's dressing in green beans was a sure way to get Ben, Sammy, and any other kid to eat some greens. Sammy even called them Green Deans back in the day. It was born out of necessity, as was most of Dean's early culinary endeavors. But unlike SpaghettiO quesadillas, this one was a big hit even into adulthood. Dean makes sure to make Green Deans for Thanksgiving and Fourth of July just for nostalgia. It always puts a smile on Sammy's face and makes Dean's heart swell. 
Dean also picked up some IPAs and a secret ingredient to make the s'mores even more special. He couldn't wait to show Cass and Claire. As he quickly throws the green beans onto the stove and turns it up to medium-high, he's buzzing with excitement. He needed to get into the shower and settle down and figure out what the hell he was going to wear. He didn't want to try too hard, but he wanted to make a good impression. He finally settles on some slate blue shorts with a button shirt that has tiny flamingos on it and a pair of khaki boat shoes. After spending almost 30 minutes on his hair to get that perfect, effortless look, he turns down the green beans and transfers it into an insulated crock for transport. This is it, the first date, or the first play date. He would be lying if he said he didn't let Sam get to him a little bit. Claire did invite him, after all. Stop it, he berates himself. He puts on another layer of deodorant, since he can feel himself getting clammy as the time to leave draws ever closer. He looks at himself in the bathroom mirror. Pep talk time. You can do this. You're Dean fucking Winchester. And if this guy and his kid are half as adorable as what you've already seen of them, you would be crazy not to do whatever it takes to be a part of their lives. Well, that didn't really help calm my nerves. Dean grabs the crock and bag of supplies and heads to the Impala, taking large, cleansing breaths. You got this, dumbass. Chapter 8. Rub it on me. Daddy, he's here! Dean hears Claire scream through the open car window, and he sees her running from the backyard into the driveway. Dean stops short, since she disappeared from view as soon as she got close, and the last thing he wants to do is hit her with his car. He winces and immediately checks that the crock of green beans on the back floorboard didn't topple over with his quick stop but they are still nestled safely next to the old green Coleman cooler he filled before leaving. Claire suddenly makes herself visible by attempting to climb into Dean's Impala through the passenger side window, popping her head into the car with an excited, Hi! Well, hey, Blondie, Dean indulges, reaching across the bench seat and booping her on the nose. Do you mind stepping back so that I can park? I can help. Claire declares, and Dean can hear the unmistakable squeaky sounds of bare feet scrabbling for purchase on shiny, polished, waxed, and meticulously cared-for metal as more and more of Claire's body is lurching into the car. Odds are good that her feet are filthy from running around barefoot, and Dean groans a little internally at the thought of having tiny, dusty footprints on his door. But how can he mind when Claire's curls are bouncing with the effort and her brow is furrowed with determination? He is such a sucker for kids, it's pathetic. Claire Elizabeth, Castiel shouts, coming from behind the house and squinting into the late afternoon sun. What on earth are you doing? He rushes over as Claire manages to crest the door panel and topple into the passenger seat with only her dirty feet sticking out of the window. Castiel looks aghast as he takes in what Dean is sure are the smudges traversing up the door. 
but Dean is paying attention to the way Castiel's t-shirt stretches across his broad chest, so he can't care too much. Hey, Dean smiles at Castiel, who is watching helplessly as Claire arranges herself on the passenger seat. Dean can't help but laugh as she smooths her shirt and shorts, folding her hands together in such a dignified way as if she didn't just climb in uninvited like a billy goat. Dean, I'm so sorry, Castiel starts. Claire knows how doors work, for God's sake. He directs that last part at Claire with a stern glare. Hey, no big deal, Dean placates. Kids will be kids. This just means Blondie needs to help me wash my car. Really? Claire squeaks, eyes getting wide and bouncing a little in her seat. Not tonight, Dean rushes to add since he knows from experience that most kids think once something is mentioned, you are legally bound to fulfill said action right then and there. Claire's little shoulders slump at the addendum, but she says, Tomorrow? with a hopeful, crooked smile. We'll see, kiddo. Dean chuckles. He lets his foot off the brake and finally pulls the rest of the way into the driveway stopping behind Castiel's car and checking out the backyard camping scene laid out before him. Wow, Cass, Dean praises. This looks great. And he's not exaggerating. This backyard is a kid's dream. There's a trampoline, a sandbox, a fire pit, and an honest-to-God tire swing hanging from the sturdy branch of a tree. Castiel has set up a tent and tiki torches, and there's gentle smoke puffing out of a big green egg barbecue grill on the patio, bringing mouth-watering smells to Dean's nose. There's a pergola covering most of the patio, with mosquito netting around all sides, keeping any bugs from the table of food under it. Castiel, who had walked forward with the car and is now letting Claire out of the passenger side door, is looking mouth-watering himself. He's wearing a soft heather-blue t-shirt, with a slight v-neck and navy blue shorts. He's got leather flip-flops on his tanned feet. His hair, as always, is going every direction, and Dean just wants to get a hold of it. He looks every inch the effortless, cool dad he is. A grade-A dilf. Thank you, Dean. Castiel smiles. And thanks for coming. Can I help you carry anything? Dean is out of the car and rounding the trunk to get to the back passenger door for the food. Sure, Cass. If you want to grab that crock, I brought some green beans. I'll get the cooler. Dinner gets underway as soon as Dean sets his cooler down and Castiel pulls the food off the grill. The table is laden with beer brats, peppers, onions, potato salad, and chips with guacamole. Castiel and Claire both love Dean's green beans. Claire asking for seconds with a ketchup-smeared mouth, making Dean's heart melt. Claire helps Dean and Castiel clean up the dinner mess, carrying armloads of items into the house before running to use the bathroom. Castiel packs a basket of s'mores ingredients from the pantry, while Dean starts to rinse dishes and load them into the dishwasher. Oh, Dean, you can leave those for later. I'll get them, Castiel pleads. Dean brushes him off. Nah, no reason to leave them for you alone when I can help. Well, thank you, Castiel blushes, grabbing napkins and long metal skewers with handles for marshmallow roasting and tucking them into the basket. Claire, make sure you wash your hands. 
Castiel yells as soon as he hears the bathroom door open. Oops! Claire yells, and Dean can hear the water in the sink starting. Cass shakes his head and reaches up into the top of the pantry. He is stretching on his tiptoes, his body making a long, lithe line that makes Dean stop and stare with a plate in hand en route to the dishwasher. Dean's mouth goes a little dry when one final stretch pulls Castiel's shirt up enough to reveal one perfectly tanned, chiseled hip bone jutting out just over the waistband of his shorts. Got him, Castiel proclaims, pulling down the package of chocolate bars for the basket. I have to put them up high because of you-know-who. He smiles at Dean, then quirks a small smile when he catches Dean staring. Uh, yeah, Dean says, clearing his throat and finally setting the plate in the dishwasher. I can imagine she's quite sneaky. Castiel chuckles as he tucks the chocolate bars into the basket. You have no idea. They make their way back outside, but Castiel stops Claire from running to the trampoline. Claire Bear, time to reapply sunscreen before you go play, Castiel tells her. Claire only grumbles slightly at having to stand still for more than ten seconds at a time, while Castiel has her hold a towel to her face to spray the sunscreen on her arms and legs and rubs it in. Then Castiel removes the towel and uses a stick of sunscreen to cover her face. Once she's declared properly covered, Castiel himself takes the towel and puts it up to his face. Claire is now wielding the spray, and she covers her father liberally on his arms and legs. She gets the can very close to his toes and sprays, giggling as he squeaks into the towel and wiggles his toes from the cold. Chuckling still, Castiel removes his towel and runs his hands over his arms and legs. Then it's time to rub the stick over his own face, his stubble catching more of the sunscreen when he spreads it on his cheeks. Dragging his fingers in a circular motion on his face, Cass catches Dean watching the entire process in amusement. What? Castiel asks, squinting at Dean after Claire has skipped off to play. Nothing, Dean answers, eyebrows raised. Modeling is very important in parenting. I try not to be a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of dad, Castiel explains. More of a monkey-see-monkey-do kind of dad. Dean kind of loves it. The guy is pushing all of his good dad buttons. It's overwhelming. Your turn, Castiel announces with a grin, handing Dean the spray bottle. When Dean's mouth falls open a little, Castiel chuckles. We don't want you turning into one big freckle, Dean. Proper sun protection is serious. All right, Dad. Dean retorts and takes the spray. He gives his arms and legs a cursory spray down and declares himself properly modeled. The kid isn't even looking. And now your face, Castiel says, holding up the stick of sunscreen. I'll just spray this on my face, Dean says, grabbing for the spray again. Oh, no, you can't do that, Castiel says sternly, taking the spray out of Dean's hands. Aerosol sunscreens are actually not that great for use on children, because the particulates are easy to breathe in. But you can't beat them on convenience. But you should never spray it on your face, even adults. So, are you going to use this, or am I? 
he asks, one eyebrow raised and holding the stick out to Dean. Mother, may I? Hmm, I don't know. I guess you're going to have to do it for me. Dean smirks. Very well, Castiel says in an attempt at airy, but his dancing eyes are giving him away. Castiel crowds into Dean's space, gently applying the sunscreen to his forehead. Castiel's full lips are slightly parted and pink, and his ocean blue eyes are even more intense this close up. His stubble is still slightly colored white with sunscreen, and there's a swipe on his nose where he missed rubbing it in. The sight, combined with the smell of the coconutty sunscreen between them, makes Dean's mouth water. As Castiel carefully finishes applying the sunscreen, making sure not to have missed a single freckle, Dean feels the stick of sunscreen scritch onto his beard and down his chin, along with the graze of Castiel's fingertips. Then Castiel caps the stick and starts smoothing his long, slender fingers along Dean's brow. Dean's eyes flutter shut. He wasn't expecting a face massage, too, but God, he's enjoying one. He hears Castiel exhale softly in amusement, and his eyes snap open before the relaxed feeling makes him sway. Feel good, Castiel asks him under his breath, making gentle circles on his temples. Mmm, is all Dean can say. Castiel smiles a broad, gummy smile that makes the skin around his eyes crinkle. After that bridge has been crossed, Castiel and Dean can't stop touching each other. Just little grazes of hands as items are passed off, small sweeps around waists when passing by, tiny squeezes on shoulders for emphasis during conversation. At one point, Castiel is trying to tell Dean a joke that isn't for Claire to hear, and he leans in and whispers into Dean's ear. His warm breath running over Dean's earlobe makes Dean shiver. He almost forgets to laugh at the punchline. When the sun is about to set and it's almost time to light the fire, Claire begs Castiel to play his guitar. It's tucked away in the house, but Claire insists that it's song time, and Castiel can't deny his daughter. Do you play? Castiel asks Dean as he perches on the edge of a lawn chair and softly tunes his guitar. Only my shampoo bottle. Dean chuckles, but I put on quite a show. I wouldn't mind seeing that someday, Castiel says, eyes darkening. I'm sure we can arrange a private viewing. Dean flirts back, mouth drying a little at the thought. Daddy, play bullfrog, Claire yells, jumping into the space between them and effectively ending the staring contest. Okay, Claire Bear, Cass chuckles. Dean watches as his nimble fingers pluck the first few strings, starting up joy to the world with ease. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Claire started singing, loud and off-key, but completely adorable. She has her face scrunched up and she's bobbing her head to the music and shaking her arms and legs in jerky motions. Castiel and Dean share an amused look. Dean just cannot get over how normal and domestic and wonderful this all feels. This, this right here is what he wants. Simple meals, simple pleasures, simple family moments that add up to a woven tapestry of fulfillment and contentment.
Joy, Joy to, to the world. He sings along with his two new friends. Chapter 9. Wax on, wax off. Hallelujah. Castiel finishes quietly with a strum of his guitar. He opens his eyes and catches Dean staring at him. Expression soft, the light of the fire dancing on his face. Castiel clears his throat and glances away. Anyway, yeah, that's the song my father played for me when I was a child. It's one of my favorites, Dean says softly. My mom was always partial to Hey Jude. That's a good one, too. In fact, Claire's name was going to be Jude because of it, but I was overruled. Castiel smiles a little sadly and starts strumming the opening chords to Hey Jude softly. Let's not talk about the X just yet. But I couldn't imagine her having any other name now. Speaking of, Claire was getting awfully tired. She was sitting in a lawn chair, eyes drooping as she watched the flames. As much as Castiel doesn't want the evening to end, it would be irresponsible for him not to get her teeth brushed and sleep in the tent with her as promised. There will be more time with Dean later. Come on, Claire Bear. It's probably time to get cleaned up and turn in for the night. Dean starts at the declaration and hops up, collecting empties and tidying up. Castiel places his guitar inside the house, moving slowly and not wanting this night to end. But his parental duties trump his dating desires. Suddenly rejuvenated, Claire hops up from her chair and cries, Daddy, you promised s'mores! Dean and Castiel stop short. Well, I did promise, Castiel says reluctantly. We wouldn't want to disappoint the girl, Dean says with a smile. Stay for dessert, Castiel asks Dean with a grin. You're in for a treat, Dean's eyes twinkle, because I brought a secret ingredient for the best s'mores you've ever had. Claire is so excited she nearly hops into the fire. Dean collects the surprise from the cooler while Castiel starts sticking marshmallows with skewers. Here you go, kiddo, Dean declares proudly, slapping a king-sized pack of Reese cups onto her knee. I'll bet you never had a s'more made with a Reese cup, have you? Claire's eyes grow wide as she looks down at the package in her lap. No, but these are my favorite. Claire squeals. How'd you know? Who doesn't like chocolate and peanut butter, Dean scoffs. Daddy? Claire tattles. Dean turns his attention to Castiel, who is serenely roasting a marshmallow to golden perfection, watching their exchange with a smile. Oh, crap, Cass. Dean winces and snatches the candy back from Claire. Are you allergic or something? Do I need to keep these away? Oh, no, Castiel reassures him. Nothing as drastic as that. I just violently abhor the taste. Castiel grimaces. I don't know how to describe it. It's a horrid taste. Like molecules. Molecules? Dean repeats, bewildered. Castiel laughs. I know it sounds silly, 
but I honestly can't describe what it tastes like to me other than that. It's kind of a long story, but after I was adopted, I didn't do well with the formula they tried to give me. They put me on some nut concoction, and according to my mother, I've disliked the taste of nuts ever since. Even though the subject was quite serious, Castiel saw the smirk on Dean's face at the obvious double entendre. Well, most nuts, Castiel snarked. Dean giggled, and it was so cute that Castiel immediately set a reminder in his mental to-do list to try to make that happen again. Daddy, you hate all nuts, you told me, Claire pipes up. Yes, Claire, you're right, Castiel cracks himself and straightens up in his seat. His sponge of a daughter has witnessed enough of his and Dean's awkward flirting to fill an entire year's worth of future therapy topics. So, Dean says, clapping his hands together, Claire, you and I will enjoy our peanut buttery goodness on the opposite side of the fire. Okay. Claire claps while Dean moves his chair next to hers. The next half hour is spent roasting marshmallows and eating way too much sugar. Roasting marshmallows with Claire is an extreme sporting event. You have to be on your toes constantly. Any break in your concentration could possibly result in you meeting the wrong end of a skewer or a flaming ball of sugar, and Claire would always try to hand you the skewer hot end first. It takes a team-up of Dean and Castiel to wrangle her marshmallows. In the end, Claire decides that setting the marshmallows alight was more fun than the restraint it required to patiently toast one. So Dean and Cass roast up some perfectly golden ones, while she tortures her poor treats until they resemble charcoal briquettes, the flames dancing in her eyes. Claire declares her Reese's Cup s'more the best thing ever with a peanut buttery mouth that makes Castiel recoil in horror. He can smell the horrid scent of melted peanut butter from across the flames, but he can't begrudge his daughter the treat. Or Dean. He looks over at the pair, both chewing a huge mouthful of sugar, like a cow and its calf slowly chewing grass. They both have graham cracker crumbs on their shirts and sticky fingers. It fills Castiel's heart to see his daughter bonding with Dean, giggling at each other over the garbled words they were trying to say. He knows that this is just the beginning, and he's probably really stupid for letting Claire be involved so early. But... He and Claire are a package deal. He sends up a silent prayer that he isn't making a terrible mistake. It doesn't feel like one. It feels right. Dean is feeling content and sleepy. and dreading going home to his empty house. But he shouldn't stay much longer. Dinner has been eaten. Dessert, too and it was well past time for Claire to go to bed. But he and Castiel just can't seem to wrap it up. They chatted about everything, and nothing at all, just trying to prolong the inevitable. When there's a natural lull in the conversation, Dean leans his head back in the chair and looks up at the stars. This night, like any time he has spent with Castiel and Claire, has his heart feeling so full that he thinks it may burst. He wants more. He wants all that Castiel can give him. He swivels his head slowly and sees that Cass is doing the same, the long column of his throat illuminated by the light from the dying embers in the fire pit 
as he stares serenely into the night sky. He lets his eyes wander to Castiel's profile, his strong jawline, sharpish nose, and plush lips that are slightly parted into a contented smile. Castiel turns his head and catches Dean staring. Smirking, Castiel asks. What are you thinking? Dean sighs softly. I'm thinking that I had a really good time and that I can't wait to do it again. You? Castiel quirks his head and his eyes dance, suddenly alert. I'm thinking that I haven't heard a peep from Claire in too long. Dean immediately tenses and sits up. The last thing this date needs is to take a turn into lost child territory. It's okay, Dean, Castiel says chuckling. I'm sure she's okay, but silence is never a comfort when you're a parent. Castiel gets up from his lawn chair and goes over to the tent. Peering into the half-open flap of the door, he smiles softly. He turns and gestures for Dean to join him at the entrance. Dean walks over and peers in. Sure enough, Claire is sound asleep on the air mattress, wrapped in a navy blanket like a burrito, mouth open and drooling slightly. There's still a smear of Reese's cup on her chin, and her messy blonde hair has a crunchy-looking clump that appears to have lost a fight with a marshmallow. She looks like an angel. I don't know who I have a bigger crush on. Dean sighs. Your kid is cute as hell. Castiel chuckles. I think so, too. But thank God she's finally asleep. Guess one night of unbrushed teeth won't kill her. I'm not going to wake her. Dean stretches. Well, I guess you'll be wanting to hunker down in the tent, too. I should get out of your hair. Slumping out of his stretch, he catches Castiel eyeing his waist where his shirt rode up. You know, Castiel says, eyebrows raising as his gaze lingers on Dean's body. I'm not very tired. When he finally raises his eyes to meet Dean's, they look positively feral. Oh, yeah? Dean swallows. He takes a tentative step towards Cass entering his personal space. I find myself suddenly wide awake. Hmm, Castiel ponders. I do believe we could find something to do that would help us settle down. Dean's mouth goes a little dry as Cass rests his hands on Dean's hips, sliding each thumb through a belt loop, gently tugging Dean the rest of the way into his space. Allowing himself to be pulled, Dean steps forward, finding his body falling softly on Cass, their chests pressing together, breaths mingling. I'd like to revisit the topic of you having a crush on me, Castiel grinned softly. Oh, that's a topic I could talk about for hours. Dean smiles back devilishly. Being just a couple of inches shorter, Castiel tips his head up to look at Dean in the eyes, watching them follow Castiel's tongue as it drags across his lips. As Dean leans in to seal the deal, a worried look crosses Cass's face, and he suddenly holds up a finger in between them. We can't do this here. Claire might wake, Castiel says. Just a moment. I have an idea. Let me grab my blanket. Castiel reaches into the tent and pulls out a pale pink duvet. Dean raises his eyebrows a little. Nice pink blankie, Cass, he grins. Castiel chuckles. 
Claire is currently wrapped up in mine. She won't mind if we borrow hers for a little bit. After a little settling, they find themselves sitting on the hood of the Impala, pink blankets spread over their legs, each using their arms to pad their head from the glass of the windshield. Dean lets out a warm sigh and shifts ever so slightly towards Cass. Great idea, Cass. Dean pats the hood of his car affectionately. I've spent all kinds of time with your kid. It was high time you get up and close and personal with my baby. Cass turns his head to look at Dean as he laughs. It's hard to see much in the dark, but the small amount of ambient light reveals Castiel's wide smile. Dean doesn't want to wait a second longer to kiss that mouth. Dean reaches over with his free hand, cupping Castiel's jaw. With his thumb, he traces the curve of the laugh line around his cheeks as it leads into a dimple that's not quite hidden by the shadow of his beard. Castiel's dimple disappears as his smile morphs into a gentler expression laced with want. Castiel's cheek is warm under his fingertips, and Dean lightly scratches the stubble as he drags his hand down his jaw and around to the back of his neck. Softly, he tugs Castiel's head toward his own, leaving plenty of opportunity to register any hesitation. Castiel goes eagerly, closing his eyes as their lips finally meet in a sweet, chaste kiss. Dean surges forward again as Castiel opens his mouth, seamlessly deepening the kiss by running his tongue along his lips. Castiel responds in kind, and suddenly they are tangling their tongues together to the song of sharp intakes of breath and small moans. Castiel's hands alight on Dean's chest, massaging his pectorals, lightly tweaking his nipples through his shirt. With his elbow on the windshield, Dean runs both of his hands through Castiel's hair, mussing it beyond anything he has previously seen. His elbow starts to ache from the hard surface, but he's not ready to unlock his lips from Castiel's just yet. Noticing Dean's fidgeting, Castiel starts to adjust their bodies, pushing a little on Dean's shoulder to roll him flat against the car. Castiel rolls with him, making himself some space between Dean's legs, cradling Dean's head with his hands to prevent him from bumping it against the glass. After a particularly wicked swirl of his tongue, Castiel slips his hands under Dean's armpits and up around to the tops of his shoulders, using the Impala's freshly waxed surface as leverage to slide Dean closer. Good thing I treat my baby well. Dean's self-congratulatory thoughts are cut short when he feels Castiel's hardness slide up next to his own. Oh my God, Cass, he moans desperately, finally breaking their kiss. Castiel's plush lips attack Dean's neck and jawbone while his hips begin a light rhythm, setting them both moaning even louder from the friction. Suddenly, a light flicks on in the near distance, and Dean squints over at it. Right, Castiel has neighbors. And they are writhing and moaning on top of a car in a decent neighborhood like two cats in heat. Yes, Dean says barely getting out the syllable due to whatever sinful thing Castiel's tongue has done to his earlobe just then. Hmm. Castiel pulls his face up to look at Dean, the neighbor's porch light revealing just how debauched he has become. His lips are red and slightly swollen, eyes dark with desire. A high flush on his cheeks, 
blending down into the stubble that has made Dean's skin buzz wherever it is alighted. You think we should move this somewhere else? Dean chuckles. Your neighbors didn't pay for this peep show. Castiel tilts his head and furrows his brow. I'm not sure where we could go. I cannot in good conscience leave Claire outside alone in the tent. And if I take you in there with me, we would have to keep a respectable distance from each other. His eyes darken even further. And respectable is the last thing I want to be right at this moment. Well, you're in luck, Dean smirks, because you're about to experience paradise by the dashboard light. Dean hitches his thumb over his shoulder and clicks his tongue to point out the bench seats of the car upon which they were currently dry-humping. Castiel suddenly still and turns a blank face to Dean. Don't quote me loaf to me while we're fooling around ever again, please. Castiel deadpans. Dean's heart jolts at Castiel saying ever again, as if this is just the beginning of something and this will happen again. He can't help it. He surges up to kiss Castiel once more. It takes the sound of the neighbor's glass door sliding open to get them to detach and start moving off the hood. They gather their wits and belongings and reconvene in the spacious interior of the Impala's front seat, their mouths meeting again in the middle as soon as the doors are closed. Dean presses Castiel further back towards the door panel, skimming his hands along Castiel's sides down to his hips. It's now Dean's turn to recreate Cass's little trick on the hood, aided by the leather seats. He sticks his thumb into Castiel's belt loops and pulls him down. Once he's practically splayed out on the bench seat, Dean gets his hands under Castiel's shirt to caress the smooth skin of his torso. It feels so urgent. He needs to touch as much of Cass as he can, right now. He skims his hands up to Castiel's nipples as he straddles his hips and dives into his neck, sucking and licking relentlessly while Castiel's chest heaves. Castiel captures Dean's lips with his own again as he starts working on unbuttoning Dean's shirt with long, dexterous fingers, and Dean can't help but shiver in anticipation at the thought of those hands on him, touching, teasing, pulling, stroking. Castiel breaks their kiss when he gets the shirt unbuttoned, and pushes it off of Dean's strong shoulders. Since Dean is still running his hands over Castiel's own chest up under his t-shirt, Dean's shirt gets stuck hanging on his elbows. Castiel surges up and starts trailing open-mouthed kisses along Dean's chest, stopping to suck his left nipple into his mouth. Dean gasps, grinding down hard on Castiel's erection. The two men both moan in unison, and Dean slides his hands up around Castiel's shoulders to hold him closer as he writhes lightly on his lap. Oh, Dean, Castiel moans as he releases Dean's left nipple and makes his way to the right. I want you so badly. You can have me, Cass. Dean breathes heavily as Castiel latches on. Any way you want me. Oh, don't tempt me. Cass says after pulling off his nipple. I want you in every way possible. Cass reaches down to find Dean's erection pushing against the zipper of his shorts, gently squeezing it. Well, pick one for tonight and we can work our way through the list on more dates. 
Dean rocks against Castiel's hand. Yes, that's what I want. One date per item on the list. Castiel reaches up to Dean's waistband, deftly popping the buttons and unzipping his shorts. He reaches into Dean's boxer briefs and gets his first skin-to-skin contact on Dean's velvety hardness. And when the list is complete, Dean barely manages to get out. For one, because Castiel's hand on his dick feels like a brand. Like he's going to pull back and see a perfectly red, scarred impression of Castiel's hand wrapped around his cock. And for two, because asking Castiel about future dates is terrifying. You underestimate my imagination, Dean. The possibilities are endless. Castiel dives back in to ravage Dean's neck as he jacks him softly. Therefore, the dates will be endless. Oh, hell yeah, Dean moans, capturing Castiel's lips with his. He reaches between them and pops the button on Castiel's shorts to pull out his cock as well, the straining length jumping slightly as Dean wraps his hand around it. The head is already wet with need and Dean's mouth waters. Castiel breaks the kiss and leans into the crook of Dean's neck, panting as he takes them both in hand. Dean's hand joins his and they form a tunnel that they can both thrust into. Oh, Dean, you feel so good. Cass breathes. Yeah, Cass, so fucking good. Dean moans, his brain cells too overloaded with sensation to form an original thought. Their thrusts become erratic, and Dean's the first to shake apart in Castiel's arms. He spills all over their joined hands and surges forward to meet Castiel's mouth for a deep kiss. With Dean's release slicking in the way to his own climax, Castiel isn't very far behind. After, they stay there, catching their respective breaths while the heat between them cools into a sticky, slightly chilly mess. Hmm. Dean ponders, looking around for something in the car to use to clean up. Here, Castiel says, reaching up behind him to pull off his already rucked-up t-shirt. As they swipe at each other with the shirt and giggle softly at their oversensitivities, they hear a loud bang, and something white lands in their periphery. They nearly jump out of their skin, both men shrieking in alarm, as they simultaneously turn to look out the windshield. The cat, the one who started it all, is staring at them from the hood of the Impala. See? Dean breathes, trying to slow his heart rate. I told you it was scary. Chapter 10. A few frilly words and your counting ceiling tiles. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Sam calls from his porch as Dean walks to his car with a small wave and a resigned smile. He's worked all day and just wants to go home and take a shower, then go see Cass and Claire and probably grab some dinner with them. He's been in their lives for six months, but he still can't seem to get enough time to spend with them. As it is, he spends most evenings with them and his house is currently just a place where he showers and sleeps, and not much else. But it doesn't feel like enough. It's good. It's so good, being with Cass, spending time with Claire. It's the best Dean's ever had in his entire life, 
he has to try to stop himself from smiling all day, just so he doesn't get a jaw ache. Dean tosses the doorknob assembly onto the bench seat next to him as he climbs into the Impala's driver's seat. He checks the paper Sam had handed to him. 732 Jefferson Street, Pamela Barnes, doorknob replacement. Well, at least it's on Castiel Street. Maybe he can just shower at Cass's before dinner and borrow Castiel's clothes to wear home. He never stays over if Claire's there. Not yet. He sighs. It isn't Sam's fault that Jess got called into work, and he can't handle working the job and watching KD at the same time. She is six months old. She requires constant focus. Taking her on a job wouldn't be in the cards for another few years. So Sam had asked Dean to do it, even though Dean had put in a full day's work on another job. And of course he would do it. He would always be there for his little brother. Besides, the baby stage only lasts so long. He could bank up this good favor for whenever he was in the baby stage. If that ever happened. Maybe it was just wishful thinking. But Castiel had seemed receptive to the idea, and had said he thought Claire should have a sibling one day. It's still early in their relationship. It's crazy. But it feels right. Just like jumping into the ready-made cozy family of three had felt right from the first date. Dean pulls onto Castiel Street. As he passes his house, he sees that Cass has already made it home. But he heads to Miss Barnes' house, down and across the street. Dean recognizes it as the one he mistakenly visited when he needed to repair Castiel's dishwasher. Small world. Can I help you, sugar? The brunette with the twinkling eyes, Pamela, he assumed, asks as she opens the door. Dean holds up the doorknob assembly. I'm here to change your lock, ma'am. She looks him up and down. Well, we have got to stop meeting like this because I yet again have no work for you. She says, turning her mouth down in a frown. What? No, I have your name and address right here. Dean shows her the paper. Pamela, right? Sure is, honey, but I'm sorry it really is a mistake. The only person you're looking for lives at 723. She points down the road to Castiel's house. What? Dean squints in confusion as he looks down towards Castiel's house. On the front porch, Castiel's standing with Claire. He has on black slacks, a gray shirt, and a vest with a red tie. Claire is wearing a pale blue dress and holding a bouquet of flowers. Well, don't just stand here with little old me, Pamela smiles. Looks like they're waiting for you. Dean walks slowly down the street, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. As he gets closer, he notices the blue ribbons tied in Claire's curls and that Castiel's nervously shaking his hands out. Hey, Novaks, Dean says suspiciously. What's going on? We've hired you to change our locks, Mr. Winchester. Castiel proclaims with an air of aloofness that is betrayed by him wiping his hands on his slacks nervously. Get it? Clara giggles. Uh... No, Blondie, I don't quite get it yet. Dean smiles. Are you all going somewhere fancy for dinner tonight? Castiel purses his lips and looks slightly frustrated. Claire, why don't you put those flowers in water and let Dean get to his task? Castiel opens the door for Claire and follows behind her. 
I'll be just inside when you are finished. And then he's gone. What the hell is this? There's something going on, and Dean's pretty sure it's a good thing, but he can't quite figure it out yet. He decides to just play along and change the doorknob to his boyfriend's house, something he would have done for free without contacting his brother if he would have just asked. He's not breaking up with him, is he? That would be a weird fucking way to go about it. Or maybe this is some weird role play that Castiel is into? Surely he wouldn't bring Claire into it if it's a kinky thing. Dean's mind keeps swirling as he completes his task, tightening the final screws and cleaning his work area. He packs the old doorknob into the box and palms the two keys on the flimsy temporary keyring. Since his thoughts have taken a significant downturn, he's feeling a little wrong-footed as he enters the house proper. Cass is hovering at the cut-through on the kitchen side and startles when Dean shuts the door. Castiel rounds the corner and meets Dean in the front room with an odd energy. Now Dean is convinced something is wrong. He's never seen Castiel anything other than warm and welcoming. He seems to be holding him at a distance now, perhaps preparing him for a blow. Here are your new keys, Dean says a little sadly. Were you not wanting to do dinner tonight, or has something changed? Dean trails off. What? Castiel looks utterly shocked. No, Dean, hang on. Castiel takes the keys and pulls one off the thin metal ring. Here. Uh, okay. Dean says, taking the key as Cass pockets the other. Cass, what's going on? I'm doing a very poor job at this. Castiel sighs. He enters Dean's space and puts his hand on either side of Dean's face and kisses him very gently. His hands slide down to Dean's shoulders as he peers at him with those crystal blue eyes. Dean Winchester, you have brightened our days since the moment you entered our lives. And every time you aren't here, it feels like something is missing. You are our missing piece and I want a whole family. He gestures at the key still in Dean's hand. This is my very poor way of asking you to move in with me. With us. Dean's eyebrows lift, move in, and be a family with Castiel and Claire. In a flash, Dean could picture all of the little moments. Castiel and Claire snuggled on either side of Dean on the couch, sharing a bowl of popcorn on Dean's lap reading Claire bedtime stories, tomato and rice soup when Castiel or Claire was sick, and his woven tapestry of fulfillment and contentment was right in front of him for the taking. Oh, Dean says, relief flooding his system so completely that he could cry. For a second there, I really thought you were breaking up with me or something. He moves to kiss Castiel, a hundred tiny smooches all over his lips, his eyes his cheeks, his chin. He makes his way up to his lips once again and leaves a longer, lingering kiss there. You thought I was breaking up with you by hiring you to change the locks? Castiel challenged, pulling back. Your obedience is commendable, but surely you don't think me that cruel. Hmm, Dean hums, leaning back in. Later on I can show you just how obedient I can be. 
Castiel's eyes darken as he captures Dean's lips in a more heated kiss. A very small voice from the back of the house pipes up. Did he say yes? Dean and Castiel both break apart and laugh. I had to banish her to the back room because she was about to vibrate out of her seat with excitement from waiting to tell you. Castiel laughs. I can imagine. Dean smiles. Our little terrible secret keeper. At Dean's words, Castiel's eyes seem to melt a little. Yes, he says softly. Ours. Daddy! Claire yells. Okay, okay, come in, Claire. Claire comes bounding in, her curls bouncing, and makes her way straight for Dean. Did you say yes, Dean? Are you going to live here? Claire asks, eyes wide and pleading. Well, actually, Castiel frowns. Dean didn't actually say yes or no yet, Claire. Claire looks at Dean with an intense glare in her big blue eyes. She's clearly got that from her dad, but Castiel could never manage to give a look quite so compelling. Dean, yes or no? Dean laughs. Yes, of course, yes. I could never say no to you, Blondie. Five years later. Dean is dousing the fire pit with water from the hose when Castiel comes through the French doors of the house. Castiel smiles as he slips his arms around him from behind. I didn't know you all were having a camping night, he murmurs into Dean's ear. Impromptu, Dean says, leaning back and melting into his caress. How was Gabe? Gabe was... Gabe, Castiel chuckles, nuzzling his nose behind Dean's ear. But at least the bulk of the wedding planning is done. I tried to convince him to run off and get married on a beach somewhere like we did. But he said Callie's family would string him up if they did that. So, monkey suits and speeches it is. What a chump, Dean chuckles. We did it way better. Mm, yes, we did. Castiel nods as Dean turns in his arms. Dean leans in and starts kissing Castiel's neck, trailing his open mouth up the side and up to his ear. Kids are asleep in one of the tents, Dean whispers. The fire is out. Everything's put away. Now it's time for a real dessert. Castiel chuckles and turns his head to capture Dean's lips in a fiery kiss. But quickly he stops and pulls away, a grimace on his face. Did you make your special s'mores with the kids again? Castiel asks. Yeah, how'd you know? Castiel pulls back even further. Your mouth reeks of peanut butter. Ugh. Hmm, Dean ponders. Well, I guess we should keep my mouth as far away from your mouth as possible. Come on. He leads Castiel into the unoccupied tent and pushes him softly onto the air mattress. I want you, Dean says, climbing over his husband and straddling Cass's thighs. It won't matter if we've been together five or fifty years. You're so amazing that I just want every part of you I can get. Dean, Castiel moans. Dean starts a trail down Castiel's chest and onto his bare stomach as he lifts his shirt on the way down. Swirling his tongue around his belly button, Castiel huffs a laugh, lifting his hips to help as Dean unbuttons and peels off his pants. 
Dean moves over to one of Castiel's hip bones and licks on the sharp protrusion before dipping into the crease to suck on the skin where his leg meets his abdomen, a spot that always makes Cass gasp. Cass's breathing is so loud, Dean swears the crickets stop their chirping. Better bite a pillow or something, Cass, Dean whispers, or you'll wake up the entire neighborhood. I can think of a better use for my mouth, Castiel pants, in the interest of keeping it as far away from yours as possible. Cass pushes Dean over onto the air mattress, but it's too small and Dean starts to slide off the side. Castiel catches him with a laugh and hauls him back into a safe position. Then Castiel settles in beside him, head opposite of his, and starts kissing Dean's knees and calves. Shit, Dean moans and returns his attention to Castiel's body with a hunger, nipping lightly at his upper thighs. Castiel has just managed to shimmy Dean's basketball shorts and boxer briefs down to his knees when he gasps as Dean takes his length into his mouth. Castiel starts to lavish attention onto Dean's own cock, and soon they're both moaning in pleasure at each other's ministrations. In the end, there's not a stray drop that needs to be cleaned, and the husbands settle onto the air mattress, sated and content. Dean lays his head on Castiel's bare chest and trails light nonsense patterns on his stomach and hips. Jack keeps stealing Claire's LOL dolls, Dean reports. And Claire says she regrets asking us for a little brother. Castiel chuckles. She's old enough now to know there are no take-backsies when it comes to siblings. It's quiet for a moment before Dean raises his head and eyes Castiel suspiciously. Wait a minute, Dean starts. You won't kiss me because I've had peanut butter. But I vividly recall having peanut butter on our first date, and you kissed me just fine then. Why do you think I spent so much time on your neck and chest? Castiel chuckles softly. Plus, I was just so happy to be kissing you that I would have dealt with whatever horrible breath you could have possibly had. Your morning after anchovy pizza with Sam breath is pretty raunchy, too. Oh, fuck you, Dean says with a laugh. There's not much I could do that would stop you from finding some way to jump my bones. Just like tonight. A few frilly words and you're counting ceiling tiles. Castiel frowns and looks up at the top of the tent. There are no ceiling tiles in a tent, Dean. Shut up, Dean laughs. It's a euphemism. I think I'm the crazy. End. The way I've been craving. If I put it quite plainly. Just give me the babies. So what you're doing tonight. Better stay doing you right. Thank you so much for listening. That was a fic that I just had to get out. A lot of it, believe it or not, was um, real life stuff that has happened to me. The part where a child left a door open and the cat got in and then climbed up the chimney is all true. And the animal control technician was also afraid to pull the lever to let the cat out and it was a huge nightmare so um that plus the um let's see the dishwasher breaking 
was another thing that happened to me. Let's see. Castiel lived in my house. So everything, all of the descriptions of Castiel's house and backyard are basically where I live. So it was kind of easy to write that because I had a very good reference point. And interestingly, or hopefully you find this interesting, the peanut butter thing was my dad. He was not allergic to nuts, but absolutely violently hated the taste of them because he was adopted and whatever formula they put him on um, way back in the 50s was um, apparently tasted like nuts and he absolutely hated the taste. So that was the description that he gave me is that he absolutely hated it. That was the reasoning he gave me. Um, and that, And he was not allergic. So I thought that would be interesting to throw that in there. What else? A lot of the stuff with Claire was from my two daughters and all of the shenanigans they've pulled. And my youngest daughter was the voice of Claire. And she really, really enjoyed doing it. And she's begging me to do more. So we'll see. Um, I hope that hearing a little kid's voice on it wasn't too jarring. Um, I just thought it would be a cute little addendum. And since it was my fic, I couldn't um, pass up the opportunity. I probably wouldn't do it to someone else's fic because I just want to give them like the best possible quality. Uh, but I thought this would be fun. Hmm. Anything else? I don't know. I basically, um, just like to write about all the weird, crazy stuff that's happened in my life and turn it into a fic. So hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to my ramblings. Not for the first time, Castiel wondered. These are my own words. I should be able to read them. But spies a pack of hubba bubble bubble. <laughs> hubba bubba bubble tape. Oh no. Hubba bubba bubble tape. But spies a pack of hubba bubba bubble tape and a baby bottle pop. Fuck. But spies a pack of hubba bubba bubble tape and a baby bottle pop at the end of his bagging belt. There's a pergola covering most of the patio with mosquito netting all... I'm describing my own backyard and I can't fart. Any break in your concentration can possibly result in you meeting the wrong... While she tortures her poor treats until they resemble charcoal briquette. While she tortures her poor treats until they resemble charcoal briquette. <laughs> charcoal briquettes. So Dean and Cass roast up from with his elbow on the wing. On the wing. No. Eyes dark with the. Z- 
eyes dark with its <laughs> eyes dark with its why can't my tongue do that eyes dark with desire with desire eyes dark with des <laughs> hello my name is Natalie <laughs> very nice okay say daddy can we keep the kitty daddy can we keep the kitty you just kicked the door you have to say it again daddy can we keep the kitty good that was really good I just want another one too say come on daddy don't kick while you're doing it come on daddy yeah yeah come on daddy Okay. I know you did good. All right, now. Oh, sorry. Oh, I gotta find one more. Oh, that's the stuff of the Claire song playlist. All right, now be mad because she's not listening to you. Alexa. No, I'm not super mad. Just like Alexa. Alexa, shuffle the Claire songs playlist. Alexa, shuffle the Claire songs playlist. Yeah. All right. Try it again. Um. What? Alexa, shuffle Claire songs playlist. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Alexa. No, but like loud. Alexa. Yeah. Shuffle the Claire songs playlist. Good. All right. Now, say. Can you add that to my playlist? Can you add that to my playlist? You keep bonking stuff when you're talking. Say it again. What? Say, can you add that to my playlist? Can you add that to my playlist? Say, can I help you, Dean? Can I t help you, Dean? Let's try that again. That's okay. You're doing really, really good. Okay, tell me again. Say, can I help you, Dean? Can I help you, Dean? Daddy, it's my favorite color. All right, stop moving your feet when you talk. You're okay. Say, Daddy, it's my favorite color. Daddy, it's my favorite color. Dean says it's a special spot for me. Dean says it's a special spot for me. Yeah. Dean says it's a special spot for me. Dean says it's a special spot for me. Okay, say... He says it's a special spot for me. He says it's a special spot for me. Good. Stop touching the microphone because that will be loud. Hold on. Say, he says it's a special spot for me. He says it's a special spot for me. Good. All right. You did great. That's fantastic. Okay. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> Alright, now say Okay, we're almost done Okay, you stomped Say a one and a six A one and a six You gotta point your head towards the microphone A one and a six A one and a six One more time A one and a six Good, perfect Whatever you're touching, don't touch it Alright Yeah, I like it Yeah I like it. Stop touching what you're touching. Ugh. 
You gotta move it really back. You can just stop moving. That's like, you could do that. But I don't want to. Now say, Alexa, add hot dog buns and marshmallows to my shopping list. Alexa, add hot dog buns and marshmallows. Alexa, add hot dog buns and marshmallows. Let's try it again. Don't miss with stuff. You gotta be quiet when you're doing this. Say, Alexa. Alexa. Add hot dog buns. Add hot dog buns. <laughs> hot dog buns. <laughs> hot dog buns. There you go. Alexa, add hot dog buns. 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 And marshmallows to my shopping list. And marshmallows to my shopping list. Okay. Can I invite my new friend over? Can I invite my new friend over? Can I invite my new friend over? Can I um, invite my new friend over? You gotta look towards the microphone and stop touching stuff. Can I invite my new friend over? Can I not? That's okay. Can I invite my friend over? Can I invite my new friend over? Can I invite my new friend over? Stop looking away. You need to look at the microphone. Look at the microphone and say, Can I invite my new friend over? Can I invite my new friend over? Perfect. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. Can you hear him? <laughs> I'm going to make him an invitation right now. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. Invitation. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. Can you do the invitation part? No, it has to be you. <laughs> invitation. Invitation. There you go. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. I'm going to make him an invitation right, right now. One more time. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. I'm going to make him an invitation right now. Perfect. Daddy, play bullfrog. Daddy, play bullfrog. Bro, <laughs> You'll cut that part off. Yep. Dean. Dean. Yes or no? Yes or no. And you're all done. You did it. Good job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Here, now I can, uh... Hello, my name is Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> my foot is officially asleep because you're sitting on it. Thank you so much for your support. You can contact me on Twitter, Tumblr, or by emailing me at Making it up as we go pod at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>